Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. If the Democrats fail, it might be the end of American democracy. I think we're one election away from the end of American democracy. If they take over in 2022, that is the end of democracy and we're going to have authoritarianism. I hope that we can flip this and save democracy. If we can't, I got to, you know, I got to believe that fascism will take over in America and that will be the death of democracy. The potential death of democracy. The death of democracy. The death of democracy. The death of democracy as we know it. This protest now is not simply about the death of George Floyd. It's about the death of American democracy, decency and humanity. I'm sad to say that it also can lead to the uh, the diminishment of democracy if not its death. It almost feels like we are witnessing the, the death of democracy here. The death of democracy line stood out to me, Jonathan, because I think that's just factually correct. Kind of the end of democracy, at least the end of our democracy. The return of Donald Trump to the White House could spell the end of democracy in America. We could have a Trump presidency, and that would, in my opinion, be the end of democracy in this country. I think that could be the end of our democracy, not to be too... You know, pointed about it. Hillary Clinton said a couple of weeks ago that if he runs and wins, that could be the end of our democracy. Do you share that fear? I do. Are you going to stand by and watch this man destroy the democracy? I hope he will be beaten or else it's the end of uh, democracy as we know it. That will be the end of democracy as we know it. It's the end of democracy. That is a recipe for the end of democracy. The country is at risk as long as one of our two major parties is so committed to destroying our democracy. January 6th is what it was, was a potential end of our democracy. It would essentially mean the end of democracy in the United States of America, and that is not hyperbole. This is democracy at stake. We are at a defining moment in our democracy, and if we don't have voting rights, I don't know that we have a democracy. In Georgia, they are trying to destroy democracy. A systematic effort to dismantle democracy, not just voter suppression, but subversion. We don't like who you voted for, so we're just going to give it to the other guy. This is the end of democracy in America. This is the beginning of the South, the South Africa strategy. If he had won, it would, we would have been, it would have been the end of this country. It would have been the end of democracy. And I am not exaggerating. I am not exaggerating. Our democracy, because nothing less is at stake than our democracy. This is about suppressing the vote. It's about nullifying the elections, which Dr. King talked about that day, nullifying the election. It's about uh, just doing so many things to be obstacles to participation. That's wrong. The truth is that's wrong. And this family and John Lewis, and so beautifully that this bill is named for him, but the first bill... He wrote the first 300 pages of what is now called uh, freedom to vote. And as has been indicated by the King family, this, this bill is supported by all of the Democrats, House and Senate. It's just the filibuster in a way. So in a way, if you really truly 
want to honor Dr. King, don't dishonor him by using a congressional custom as an excuse for protecting our democracy. We have no right to honor this family, to visit the monument. Imagine 30, somewhat 36 years old, left this earth in such a way that he has a monument on the mall along with Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, all of them with tears in their eyes. Don't lecture me about Jim Crow. I know this is not 1965. That's what makes me so outraged. I just wanted to clarify, a moment ago, you were asked whether or not you believed that we would have free and fair elections in 2022 if some of these state legislatures reformed their voting protocols. You said that it depends. Uh, do you... Do you think that they would in any way be illegitimate? Oh, yeah, I think it easily could be, be illegitimate. But even Dr. King's assassination did not have the worldwide impact that George Floyd's mm -hmm. death did. God bless you all and may God protect our troops. And by the way, the reason we're not going to have any time for questions now is these guys got to get quickly on a plane and go out and do a major announcement in Ohio. And you guys will ask me all about Russia and not about anything having to do with chips. Did President Biden put more effort into getting infrastructure passed, for example? Well, he he got infrastructure passed, and that's a good thing because success can can breed success. He is putting the full force of the presidency behind it. I think the problem for the Democrats right now is is not that they have bad leaders. They have bad followers. I want to pivot back to voting rights, sure. particularly um, uh, the president's speech last week. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how it came together. But also, I wonder if you'll respond to some of the criticism about it, that it was too aggressive or divisive and, and, and that, you know, some of the rhetoric that he used wasn't, you know, conducive to getting folks, you know, who are opposed on board. Well, uh, sorry, which piece did you want me to start with? Uh, whichever one is best for you. Uh, okay. Well, I, I would say first that, um, you know, the president delivered a powerful speech about uh, the protection of people's fundamental rights in this in this country, which is their right to vote, their right to uh, to vote for anyone they choose, whether it is him or someone else. It was not a partisan speech. It was intended to lay out for the public exactly what's at stake and lay out for elected officials what's at stake. Um, and he stands by everything he said in that speech. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's January the 23rd year of our Lord, 2022. And this is take two. <laughs> yeah. I was so excited to get down in the freaking podcast booth. Somehow, some way, I forgot to check the mic. And it wasn't plugged in. So we're having a good old time this morning. So going to try to reconstruct a little bit of it. Uh, kind of really don't understand how I fucked it up. So, um, man, I, I sometimes I do shows and I'm super, super excited about what I do. But this is this is like a thesis. That intro's a thesis. Everything you just heard is a complete clusterfuck. You got the President of the United States questioning elections. 
in short order, the media just, okay, that's all good. I don't have a problem with it. Do you have a problem with it? Then you're a racist. You got them talking about Jim Crow. You got them just being asshats. Everything about that is so broken. The press conference itself. This is a press conference. President of the United States, future elections. So I'm going to play the worst of the worsts. What Meet the Press took away from it, because it's perfect, how the media covers Republicans who fight and Democrats who fight the party, and then just a must, just a, a super clip, super cut of when have the media, the Democrats, not questioned elections? Inflation is up. Uh, your signature domestic legislation is stalled in Congress. In a few hours from now, the Senate, uh, an effort in the Senate to deal with voting rights and voting, uh, voting reform legislation is going to fail. COVID-19 is still taking the lives of 1,500 Americans every day. And the nation's divisions are just as raw as they were a year ago. Did you overpromise to the American public what you could achieve in your first year in office? And how do you plan to course correct going forward? Why are you such an optimist? Look, I didn't overpromise. And what I have probably uh, outperformed what anybody thought would happen. The fact of the matter is that uh, we're in a situation where uh, we have made enormous progress. You mentioned the number of deaths from COVID. Well, it was uh, three times that not long ago. It's coming down. Everything's changing. It's getting better. Crickets, yeah, crickets. They had no answer. I did not anticipate that there'd be such a stalwart effort to make sure that the most important thing was that President Biden didn't get anything done. Think about this. What are Republicans for? What are they for? Name me one thing they're for. Thank you, Mr. President. Speaking of voting rights legislation, if this isn't passed, do you still believe the upcoming election will be fairly conducted and its results will be legitimate? Well, it all depends on uh, whether or not we're able to make the case to the American people that some of this is being set up to try to alter the outcome of the election. We're here, NBC News political director and moderator of Meet the Press, Chuck Todd, watching along with me. Chuck, I'm fascinated to hear your thoughts. Well, let me start with two biggest pieces of news that I think came out of this press conference. Number one, Build Back Better is going to get broken up. Uh, he knows the child care tax credit isn't going to be part of it. Uh, you're going to start to see this piecemeal. He had not, it had been teased a little bit in sources and this or that, but he's pretty clear here. He was, it was followed up with a number of times. I think we know where that's headed. The other thing is he made it, he hint, gave a pretty clear hint that the Europeans are are a little more skittish about getting tough on Russia than the United States is. When he Ope said it depends on what he does across the border, and then he was uh, with Russia, and somebody correctly, I thought it was a terrific follow-up there, uh, correctly said, are you basically given permission for a small incursion? And then he went in and he elaborated about the issue with, well, every not every European country essentially uh, views everything the same and keeping everybody on 
support. And you know what? In many ways, Lester, that was the epitome of this press conference overall, which was I, I, he should do more of these because I have come away with a better understanding of what he's thinking, why he does what he does. It, you know, some people will be frustrated by some of the ways he answers questions. Some people will, but he was pretty unfiltered. Uh, and I'm sure some of his press staff will say you shouldn't have gone an extra half hour. Uh, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with exhausting the press corps, if you will. Look, this was uh, the other part of it that struck me, Lester, is I actually felt like I was seeing candidate Biden again. He was trying to tack back toward Mr. Pragmatic, tack back toward that, hey, I'm a mainstream. I think he twice emphasized that he's a capitalist, unlike Bernie Sanders, right? W going back to the candidate. So while he won't say they're repositioning themselves, he clearly today, in almost every answer he gave, whether it was about bringing the country together, build back better voting rights, he tried to get himself back to talking to the middle. And for a guy who says he doesn't believe any of the polling, he talked a lot about polls, but I can tell you this, he sounds like a guy who has watched some of these focus groups right. that uh, a lot of other Democrats have been holding because he was trying to respond to the frustration of the middle of the electorate. So look, I, 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 if it, he should do more of these at about an hour at a time, but I do think the way he handles them, it, 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 it did fill in some gaps that the public was missing. Tonight, voting his conscience over his party. The Mitt Romney decision is a fascinating one for this reason. He is now the president of the Republican resistance to Donald Trump. He put politics aside. That was a true profile and courage speech yeah. we just heard. That was the sound of a man who'd wrestled with his conscience, who tried to think bigger than partisan politics. Why do they call themselves Democrats when they refuse to do what the party leader wants them to do? People like Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, these are the white people that Martin Luther King Jr. warned us about. I think yesterday what Jeff Flake was trying to do was to rescue not one but two government institutions. He talks a lot about the need to put conscience over party and and principle over partisan loyalty. What, what, what completely bad faith, what total bad faith from Kirsten Sinema. Kirsten Sinema didn't just disrespect Joe Biden, she disrespected American democracy. She completely embarrassed, politically embarrassed, the leader of her own party. Do you think she should be replaced? The maverick John McCain delivers the final blow to his party's health care fight. The 80-year-old senator delivering a powerful wake-up call to a dysfunctional Congress. None of it swaying the veteran senator who lived up to his nickname the maverick do you feel that senator manchin is playing fair with you i mean he went on television and said no quote the truth is manchin is best understood as a grifter from the ancestral home of king cole for his bad faith fake negotiating and obstruction of a bill that would truly help his constituents joe manchin maserati manchin is tonight's absolute worst We won that election. Al Gore won the election. Al Gore was elected president of the United States. Right. This wasn't counted. You know it. I know it. They know it. We won that election. There is overwhelming evidence that George W. Bush did not win this election. Do you think Republicans stole that election? In 2000, uh -huh. I wish the United States Supreme Court had let them finish counting the votes. The Supreme Court denied the actual and accurate counting of the votes of Florida. If Catherine Harris, Jeb Bush... Jim Baker and the Supreme Court hadn't tampered with the results, Al Gore would be president. An election has been stolen, robbed. It wasn't a fair process. It wasn't a neutral process. 
it was a process that was rigged against us. We actually won the last presidential election, folks. They stole the last presidential election. As we look at our election system, I think it's fair to say that there are many legitimate questions about its accuracy, about its integrity. How are you going to keep it from us being able to be in a position where you can manipulate the machines, manipulate the records? In Virginia, when I was governor, I had to replace all the machines. Too many voters have cast votes on machines that jam or malfunction or suck the votes without a trace. I kept voting in the Senate race, kept voting for the Democrat, Republican name kept coming up. Three times that happened. How many other votes did the computers get wrong? I brought in some technology experts. They were able to hack into our machines from off-site in about five or six minutes, and yeah. within four minutes, they were able to change a vote. The legitimacy of any president that's elected is going to be impaired unless the American people understand that there has been a full and fair count of all the votes. We will continue to object to the election procedures until they are corrected. The objection is in writing and I don't care that it is not it is not signed by a member of the Senate. It is our duty to challenge this vote. It's not as if it's just Republicans who have monkeyed around with elections in the past. Sometimes Democrats have to. I would be standing here saying this no matter what the outcome of the election. It is unfucking believable that that aired on NBC and they think it's okay. They think what he's, because they don't know any other input. He could have got up there, shit his pants, vomited. They wouldn't care. But his takeaways is build back better. That's his takeaway. No, 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 no. The takeaway is the President of the United States believes that he did a great job. The President of the United States believes that all elections are illegitimate unless he wins them. I mean, CNN even aired truth. Scott, I read a piece that you just wrote essentially saying this is Joe Biden doing what Joe Biden does. Yeah, well, he, he I, I never imagined how quickly this would all unfold. The person they sold on the campaign, the nice old, you know, moderate grandpa who just wanted to help everybody get along and compromise is not what we got over the last year. He has no mandate really to do much of anything. It's amazing that he got a couple of things done when the mandate was really uh, pretty clear. 50-50 Senate, a near 50-50 House, and a pretty close presidential election. The mandate was simply replace Donald Trump and don't do anything drastic or stupid. And everything about this agenda is extremely drastic. And he's been angrier than I think people expected. He's been more divisive, he's been more partisan. You look at the issues. We built five years of coverage on Trump out of Russia, COVID and democracy. The president at his press conference invites Russia to invade the Ukraine. We got more deaths under Biden than Trump. And now we have the president and vice president and leading Democrats question the legitimacy of the 2022 election. Are we any better off? On these three issues that we crucified Trump over, I think he has a lot of political problems. And an AP poll came out this morning. Only 28% of Americans want the sitting president to run for re-election and fewer than half of Democrats. This is a disaster. That's a letter that Democrats just signed 32 years ago. Every time we have a show, I play how they've used it 309 fucking times that... This whole thing's bullshit that they wanted to keep it. 
But this is all wrapped in the enigma. If they can't have their way and convert elections to whatever the fuck they want, well, it's illegitimate. It's all illegitimate. You're illegitimate. Because they're going to keep online. I mean, where the fuck does she get this from? What fucking planet does she get this from? Where he's awesome. Then you have this motherfucker. He's too articulate. The American people are stupid. That's why they can't get it. They just can't get it because they're fucking stupid. Then you have Robert Reich. That, if you're conservative, after the November election, this gets you banned on Twitter. You can't say shit's illegitimate. And you sure can't say backhand a bitch. That's something you can't do. But big tech's all on board. They're supporting it. PolitiFact just now is still putting context to Biden's if you don't vote with us on voting laws, then you are Bull Connor, motherfucker. That's that's how they work. I mean, this week, to keep it going, to keep building up what they want to put out. Every night, democracy in peril with Jim Acosta and Brianna Carroll or Keller at 9 p.m. Folks, it's getting beat by Andy Griffith. What's my line on the game show network? That's reruns, my friends. And my 600-pound life. Nobody's watching it. Because nobody believes it. It's even leaking out in the Washington Post. Democrats have vigorously used a filibuster. It's pathetic they won't pledge to protect it. Because they already have. Numerous times. We, we have the audio. Half of Americans on CBS are frustrated with them. We have now flipped what we say we are. That's the first time in my lifetime this has ever happened. My first time. There's always been more Democrats. There's been Republicans. It's just how it fucking works. It is the world we live in, my friends. So I'm going to try to take the gain down a little bit. I don't want it to vibrate. Eh? But that's, that's a first. 14-point swing. We talk about red pilling. It's happening. Because these people fuck up a wet dream. They have all these concepts, but they can't put it in practice. It's what it's always been. Always. They're going to make a J6 movie. Yeah, that's coming out. Because they want to just keep bringing it up. Keep bringing it up. Keep bringing it up. And while all this is happening, and they're calling it illegitimate, and they're not caring about that, Wisconsin judge bans ballot drop boxes, says election officials broke the fucking law. And oh, by the way, boys and girls, this aired. It's all over the internet. The mainstream media is not covering it. Here's a Philadelphia poll worker. So why don't we talk about that offline? Because um, Jim and I had a brief conversation today, and this time it's much different than last time because we're going to have them sign O's. They're going to need W-4s, and we need them to sign something allowing them to somebody else to pick up. So we're going to actually follow 
the law fully this time. <laughs> and um, so there's a lot more stuff in our letters. That's admitting they broke the law. I mean, I, I backwards. What up, motherfuckers? They admitted it. They fucking admitted it. There's studies of how they buried it. It's totally, totally obvious how they buried it. They didn't cover anything negative. They got off of the bad really quick. They just reported it because then they could say they're objective. And they moved on. But before we move into even worse stuff that's happening because of their rhetoric and what they're doing, I got to have them jerk off of the week. Here's, this is what the media said about his press conference. But on that issue of voting rights, he became the second consecutive American president to raise concerns about future election results. During his news conference, President Biden was asked if he believes this year's elections will be fairly conducted and the results legitimate, given that his voting reform bill didn't pass. Well, it all depends on uh, whether or not we're able to make the case to the American people that some of this is being set up to try to alter the outcome of the election. I think you're going to see the people we're trying to keep from being able to show up, showing up and making the sacrifice. You also had the president's comments on uh, the possibility of an illegitimate election in 2022 when he was asked a question about whether the, if these voting reforms that have been debated in Congress don't pass, that would contribute to the illegitimacy of the 2022 elections. I think the right answer would be to reaffirm the strength of our electoral system while you know expressing disappointment that that the the reforms were unlikely to pass instead he said yeah it's possible that the 2022 elections could be illegitimate which i think is not what we need whether you're a republican or a democrat a liberal or conservative i know so steve how is that helpful and doesn't that set up a tit for tat dynamic that i think is very troubling on many issues yeah, I, I mean, I think it's worrisome. With the voting rights push hitting a dead end, President Biden was asked whether this year's midterms would be fairly conducted and legitimate after many Republican-led states enacted new voting restrictions. It all depends on uh, whether or not we're able to make the case to the American people that some of this is being set. Bakari, let me ask you from a political political perspective, should the the White House, should the party do this every six months? And I'm not saying it to be dismissive. We did this in July. We heard from the president, the National Constitution Center, the big powerful speech, and then the vote that didn't lead to anything. Then we see it in January, the big speech, and then the vote tomorrow. Is it beneficial for the party to continue to, to, to look as if and try to continue to pass this? Or do you set up a failure every six months that you can't get it done? I don't think we need to do it every six months, Victor, to be completely honest with you. I think we need to do it every 30 days. I mean, mm. the fact is, you know, when you're talking about Dr. King, there are a lot of people who think that Dr. King uh, graced this planet. He said, uh, judge thee by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. And then he died peacefully in his sleep. I mean, we, we can't forget about his letter from the Birmingham jail, April 16th of 1963, when he actually talked about what we're dealing with today. In that letter, he went about talking that the fact is the white moderate is the person who stands in the way of progress in this country. It's not the 
white citizens council or the Ku Klux Klan, it was the white moderate who wants to preserve order over justice. And that's what you have in cinema and mansion at this point in time. And so we have to have that fierce urgency of now. And it's unfortunate that this has become such a partisan issue. And it was done by none other than the Chief Justice of the United States of America, John Roberts, who made this into a political football. But this should be an issue that black, white, Democrat or Republican, Northern or Southerner, we shouldn't have to rehash this every time around. This should be an issue we can all agree on. Yeah, former Secretary Clinton uh, tweeted something, a quote from Dr. King speaking about. With voting rights on the line, President Biden laid out in stark words the choice facing the Senate in a fiery speech in Atlanta. Do you want to be the on the side of Dr. King or George Wallace? Do you want to be on the side of John Lewis or Bull Connor? Do you want to be on the side of Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis? Within days, we got an answer. Democratic Senators Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin, members of the president's own party, reiterated their unwillingness to carve out an exception in the filibuster to allow for a simple majority vote on the Freedom to Vote Act or the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. Joining me now is co-chair of the Congressional Voting Rights Caucus, Congresswoman Terry Sewell, whose Alabama district holds Montgomery, Birmingham, and Selma. You know, Congresswoman Sewell, in the, in the uh, intro, we played what, to my mind, was the pivotal moment in the president's speech, where he laid down the, the, the marker. You're either with John Lewis or you're with Bull Connor. It was stark language, and a lot of people were not happy with that. I would love to, uh, Democrats and Republicans th th thought some, thought he went too far. To your mind, did the president go too far in laying out that stark language? I don't think he did. You know, I was honored to be with the president and the vice president in Atlanta. Um, and I wanted the president to be emphatic. And he was bold. He was clear. He was clear. He said that, do you want to be on the right side of history? Do you want to be on the side of John Lewis? Or do you want to be on the side of Bull Connor? I thought it was a stark comparison, but it was one that was necessary in order to jolt the imagination about where we are in this time in history. Well, I think that we, we must have the vote. We need to have a roll call for the American people to see who is going to be on the side of protecting the democratic process and protecting people's right to vote without impediments and who are going to be on the other side. That's why I think the president was right when he said, are you on Dr. King's side or, or George Wallace's side? Uh, Bull Connor's side, or John Lewis' side, Abe Lincoln's side, or Jefferson Davis. Note, he did not say that they were Jefferson Davis or they were. And I mean, Jake, our NBC News colleagues report the Biden administration is looking at a, a new messaging and communication strategy. What would that be? And is, is that possibly effective? I mean, how do you deal with the reality that people are feeling in this country? I mean, we have the, the COVID crisis really, you know, creating havoc in our country, you know, inflation, et cetera. How do you how do you reset? 
Well, when all else fails, you blame your communications effort, right? You blame the people who are charged at delivering the message instead of the actual reality. And the reality is it's very difficult to govern and it's very difficult to govern um, aggressively and fulfill aggressive and, and lofty campaign promises with a 50-50 Senate and a narrow margin in the House. You could communicate until you're blue in the face about that reality, but that's just the way it is. And you could reset and you could do whatever you'd like to try to explain that away. And by the way, this administration has a lot of successes, right? I mean, they have, they passed an infrastructure bill, they passed a COVID relief bill. Whether that plays or not is up to, I don't know the answer to that, but the reset here, I don't know how you reset the idea that the BBB has stalled and, and voting rights is going nowhere. I mean, you could reset that all you want, and that's still the reality on the ground and here in the Capitol and at the White House. So I, I would take any, I would take any thought about a reset with a, a heap of salt because uh, you can't you can't reset and reframe and repackage uh, a brutal reality. I sometimes feel like the sun has not set on January 6th, that the, the day continues. Jill Lepore is a Harvard University historian. So long as the idea that an armed insurrection against a democratically elected president being certified into office or taking office is seen as legitimate and defended as legitimate or not repudiated by so many public figures. I hate to evoke images of such violence, but it just seems to me like it's a series of buried landmines. But history tells us that the bluntest story is not always the lasting one, especially for presidents in their first year. The impressions people have one year in very rarely have any bearing on how that president is seen at the end of a first term or a second term, how that person is seen in history. Author James Fallows was a Carter speechwriter. Jimmy Carter, who, as history knows, was not reelected, was extremely popular in his first year. In Measuring presidents in the moment is hard, says Jill Lepore, because people focus only on what's right in front of them, like a protracted global pandemic. I'm kind of puzzling over this, how do you measure a president? What most of us are measuring day to day are the COVID case numbers. Does that basically mean the approval rating is a general thermometer of public feeling? And if the public's unhappy, the president as the best known politician is the one that gets blamed. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what it is, sort of a proxy for the national mood rather than an evaluation of the efficacy of an administration. Right. And most of us don't have the ability day to day to evaluate the efficacy of the administration. In a way, with Trump, it was a little different because people did know what Trump was doing every day because he was tweeting all day long. I've lived through times of hyperinflation. I've lived through times of mass layoffs. And let me tell you, mass layoffs are way worse. The trauma to families and to communities and to companies is much worse than the genuine problem of inflation. Now we're going to take you to the Pacific nation of Tonga, which is devastated after a massive undersea volcanic eruption. This satellite image shows a neighborhood in Tonga as it looked last month. And here's what the area looks like now. Wow. Look at this. Wow. Covered in a thick coat of volcanic ash, three of its smaller islands suffered serious damage from tsunami waves that reached almost 50 feet high. Those you know, pictures tell the story. We yeah. talk about climate change quite yes. a bit. And yep. These stories are a harsh reality of what we're going through. And we have to do our part. 
because these are more frequent. Yes, yeah, and if you're on the West Coast, the clock is ticking on the big yeah. one. People yeah. are worried. I mean, the president also predicted that Vladimir Putin would invade Ukraine. Reporters pressing him on how he would respond. Russia will be held accountable if it invades, and it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion, and then we end up having a fight about what to do and not do, etc. But if they actually do what they're capable of doing with the force amassed on the border, it is going to be a disaster for Russia. That answer raising eyebrows. Are you saying that a minor incursion by Russia into Ukrainian territory would not lead to the sanctions that you have threatened? Or are you effectively giving Putin permission to make a small incursion into the country? I think we will if there's something that is that where there's Russian forces crossing the border, killing Ukrainian fighters, etc. I think that changes everything. But it depends on what he does. Yeah, I think there were uh, many gasps of breath here in Kiev and across European capitals when the president said uh, that he thought that perhaps Russia would cross that border. In other words, that Russia would invade. So Margaret, the president spoke about consequences for Russia, but then he said it's one thing if it's a minor incursion. What did that mean? Nora, Russia's going to pounce on that phrase during diplomatic talks, which are set to begin Friday, because this could be interpreted as minimizing the type of attack or putting limits on what the U.S. may do. The president seemed to be trying to say that the U.S. will alter its response depending on the scale and the scope of Russian aggression, which could be a cyber attack or seizing territory or an invasion. But even when pressed, President Biden repeated that he sees a difference between a small and big military incursion in Ukraine and that he expects one. My guess is he will move in. He has to do something. There is only one part of this country where Russia could launch a small incursion that could be in any way ambiguous. It's in the Far East, where pro-Russian separatists already control enclaves. And officials in this country and very likely in Russia tonight are wondering, did President Biden just give Vladimir Putin a green light to... This is what President Biden was referring to, I think. Yeah, I agree with you, Allison. And look, should the president have been more clear and careful in his statement? Yes. Should the press seek clarification? And the White House has sought to clarify what he meant, which was to talk about election subversion. Yes, they should do that. But it also shouldn't distract us in the press from the larger point. And that's that there is one party that is overwhelmingly uh, perpetuating election lies and there are a lot of Republican candidates that are running on the basis of furthering those lies and are running saying that they may not certify future election results or that they wouldn't have certified the 2020 election results. One example again is David Perdue in Georgia who's running for governor there and he has launched an entire platform on Trump's lies of a stolen election and has said that he would not have certified the 2020 election results. So these are legitimate concerns and to compare by Biden's comments yesterday to years of Trump sowing, uh, sowing doubt about the election, saying that it was rigged, saying that it was stolen, is a false equivalence. And to be clear about what the president said, just so we have the quote as part of the conversation, what the president said was the prospect of an illegitimate election is in direct proportion to us being able to get these reforms passed, suggesting that if these laws are not passed, the uh, John Lewis uh, Voter Rights Act and, and others, that uh, that could be related to 
a legitimate or illegitimate election in 2022. But, Ron, let me come to you on specifically your new piece in The Atlantic. You know, there have been questions about why call a vote on something if you don't have the votes, uh, to the question to uh, Leader Schumer. And you say that this shows that there's been a dramatic shift on the filibuster in the party. Explain that. By the way, first, I want to second everything Laura said, because I think uh, what we're seeing in this controversy over the past 24 hours says more about the failure of journalism to recognize the magnitude of the threat to democracy that we're facing than it does about Biden, who admittedly could have. The Senate set to debate Tuesday. But the bottom line is right now, Democrats are struggling to advance their legislation, including the Freedom to Vote Act. The bill would create a national standard for voting, designate Election Day as a federal holiday, and restore voting rights to the formerly incarcerated. Since the 2020 election, a number of states have taken action that critics warn restrict access to the polls. In fact, at least 19 states passed 34 laws restricting access to voting. Georgia now criminalizes handing out water to voters waiting in line. Texas banned 24-hour drive-through voting, which was originally created to provide a safe way to vote during the pandemic, both states now being sued by the Department of Justice. And in Florida, after voters approved an amendment restoring voting rights to most felons, state Republicans enacted new restrictions requiring those felons to first pay back their legal financial obligations before being allowed. How could the president turn things around? Well, based on our poll, Americans say it's by focusing more on inflation and less on new legislation. Among those who disapprove of the president, more than six in 10 of them say opinions of him would improve if Mr. Biden is able to get inflation down. That's more than double the number who say they'd think better of him if the president's social spending plan is passed or if Democrats pass new voting rights bill. Now, you might be wondering, why is the president focused on this issue if defeat is almost completely certain? Well, take a look at this new CBS News poll. We asked Americans, is the Biden administration focused too much, just about enough or not enough on the issue of voting rights and access? Turns out one third say the Biden administration's focused on the issue about the right amount. Four in 10 say he's not focused on it enough. That's a sign that even in the face of defeat, given the Americans are going to give him. Joe, can we go to Biden for a moment? Because uh, I'd like to hear sure. a Democrat's point of view about Biden at the one year mark. How is the press treating Biden as he heads into that one year mark? Listen, I think the press is failing. Uh, they're treating him unfairly. First off, there ought to have been a dividend for returning truth and decency to the White House. And we didn't get that. We didn't get it at all. We've kind of returned to the snarky attitude uh, that we saw with Trump and in some respects uh, to, uh, to Obama. And I'll give you an example uh, about some of the decisions that get made. As I said, the, from the very first briefing, the Trump spokespeople lied. They lied every day, every briefing. And the majority of those briefings were uh, aired live on television. Jen Psaki's in there now telling the truth. She's telling us what's going on in the government, what people need to hear. And they're rarely on live television. So that tells me that this is more about entertainment than it is about news. It's more about getting viewers than letting people know what's going on in the country. And that's a failure as far as I'm concerned. Interesting. Did the president essentially give the green light to Vladimir Putin to take a piece of Ukraine, to take a bite out of Ukraine? I will tell you that part of the, the posture that we have taken is grounded in 
the respect and the value we place in sovereignty and territorial integrity. Madam and in Vice particular, President, in this case, I'm sorry the sovereignty interrupt. and territorial yeah. integrity of Ukraine. Of course. And so I'm we so are sorry very to interrupt, clear, but it is, had... it is less than clear because 30 minutes after the news conference, the White House press secretary had to actually clarify the president's remarks. Savannah, I'm being clear with you right now. Yes, okay. And, and, and so if you're interested, I'll continue to be clear. Is there any amount of land that Russia could take that the president would allow, turn a blind eye to, not issue those, quote, severe sanctions he's been threatening for that massive full-scale invasion. Was the damage done? You can't unring the bell. Is Vladimir Putin likely to listen to a later statement from the White House press secretary or the words of President Biden? I will repeat myself. And I'm Vice President of the United States, and the President and I work closely together, and I know his position because he has been consistent in that regard. He openly cast doubt on whether the 2022 midterm elections would be legitimate. He said it all depends, um, which is astonishing to hear a president question whether our elections will be legitimate. We've heard it before, but not from this president. Is he really concerned that, that we may not have fair and free elections? States have put in place laws that are purposely making it more difficult for the American people to vote. Laws which will be felt by at least 55 million Americans, regardless of their party affiliation, their race, their gender, or their geographic location. Well, to the point, though, because so those we bills have been were clear, debated. And it's, but it's, yeah, the, the, the bills it's, were debated it's, it's, and they didn't pass. If so I may the, finish, the specific, if I may course, finish. But the specific question, if you don't mind, does he think, now that these bills haven't been passed, that the 22 midterms won't be legitimate or fair or free. Let's not conflate issues. These initiatives failed because Democrats weren't united, let alone Republicans. Was that an error as you look back on this year? Well, when I look back on this year, I think about things like the bipartisan infrastructure law. Um, administrations, both Democrat and Republican, have tried for years. Well, doesn't that show Republicans do what, were do, willing to help if the, finish, if the initiatives were what, good? But Vice President Kamala Harris, I am way out of time. Next time, they got to give us an hour so I don't have to interrupt and you can go as long as... We have to start doing things for the greater good of society and not for idiots who think that they can do their own research or that they are above the law and they can break the rules. Australia, Novak Djokovic. Australia said, no, 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 no. We're going to look at the greater good of everyone in our society, and you're not part of that. For the initial evening, they hit, hey, this motherfucker just questioned elections, and we got to report it, and then we're just going to push what they want. We're just going to push their agenda. We're going to keep pushing their agenda. We're not going to stop. And those last two, where you have a real interview with Harris, and she's just a fucking bitch, and Don Lemon and Seltzer, the closing of that. It's perfect. They're mean to Biden. And who the fuck are you to research? And I didn't play the bump. Because in tune with this, here comes your media avalanche. The GOP are the devil. I am the media jerk-off of the week. So hot. 
The first black woman to run the Justice Department Civil Rights Division says that voting discrimination persists today. Assistant Attorney General Kirsten Clark is her name, talked with our Jeff Pegues in her first TV interview since taking office last year. She says that continuing Dr. King's quest for equal access to the ballot box is one of her department's top priorities. Assistant Attorney General Kristen Clark hears the frustration of many over new state voting restrictions and says her department is using every tool at its disposal to protect voting rights. Would you say that it's people of color who are being targeted by these laws? Yes. Voting discrimination is alive and well. Well, who do you think is behind this effort? Well, look, I do not view this as a partisan issue. You don't? I don't. You might be the only one in this town that doesn't see it as a partisan issue. Well, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that we can get back to that place where we've been time and time again, where Congress has worked in bipartisan fashion to renew the Voting Rights Act. Within the Democratic Party, there is growing frustration that the Justice Department and the president failed to reverse Republican efforts to change state election laws with the midterm election approaching and control of Congress on the ballot. Do you feel any pressure to, to get this done? There's an urgency, uh, for sure. Clark has a reputation for not backing down from a fight. I knew very little about her, but it's really interesting to hear her story. She, Look where she sits today I know. in the view from her window. She also Bravo. said voting restrictions were not political, yeah. not a political issue in her view. It might be an anchor of Early Start, Laura Jarrett. Laura, uh, from a legal perspective, what else do we know about this bill? Guys, good morning. So the bill is known as individual freedom, but as you pointed out, uh, aside from selective MLK quotes, the bill actually appears aimed at limiting freedom, not only in schools, as we've seen across the country, bills aimed at doing that, but this one actually takes aim at what's happening in workplaces, specifically workplace training. So you went through a little bit of this, but let's just sort of walk through what the bill actually does. The most controversial part, it seems, is that it bans making people feel uncomfortable, to use its words, discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any other form of psychological distress, not only on account of race, but sex. So you can imagine someone sitting through a workplace training on sexual harassment, feeling under attack about that, they would now be able to do something about it and say that that's unlawful. The bill also talks about teachers addressing things in an age-appropriate manner, and that it also prohibits um, employee trainings that makes people feel guilty on account of uh, what others of their race have done, essentially going after white guilt. Now, you can imagine there is some pushback, some strong pushback um, from the Democrats on this bill. One was on New Day, Chef Jones. Here's what he said. I taught in a predominantly white school, and no time did a parent or a child come up and say during Black History Month or any other time that they were uncomfortable. This is a continuation of Donald Trump and his allies and his base, and they've been carrying over to, Don, to uh, Ron DeSantis and his allies and his base of the big lie that the critical race theory is the biggest issue of our time, and it's just not. 
So you hear Jones there really cueing in on the fact that this is much, this is a part of a much larger conversation about race and how history is taught in schools. But teachers, you see here, say basically it's a solution in search of a problem that critical race theory is not being taught in schools. Children are not being taught that white people should feel guilty about slavery. And what this is really going to do is open the door to censorship and lawsuits that's really going to stifle academic freedom, guys. Yeah, making it much more difficult for, for teachers and, and really complicated, right? Now, the woman in the piece who said, let it flood, well, that is an example of the commitment to coal in the face of climate change. She says because historically coal has been a reliable job source, but the reality is the industry itself has been shedding jobs due to automation. It's a dying industry. Now, we reached out to Senator Manchin's office, but received no comment. Renee Marsh, CNN, Washington. Renee, thank you. And let's talk more about this with Jeff Goodell. He's a contributing editor for Rolling Stone. He's also the author of The Water Will Come. Jeff, great to have you. In your lengthy piece this week titled Mansion's Coal Corruption is So Much Worse than you knew. You write, quote, the truth is Manchin is best understood as a grifter from the ancestral home of King Cole. He is a man with coal dust in his veins who has used his political skills to enrich himself not the people of his state. So given what you're writing there uh, and what you say Senator Manchin's motives are, do you think any of this climate change legislation stands a chance of getting to the president's desk? There's been talk from some Democrats about trying to break it off since they can't get Build Back Better in its current form through. Do you think that there's any chance of that, that he comes around on any part of it? Well, I don't know. I mean, I would certainly hope so if they can break it, break it loose. And uh, Manchin has indicated that, you know, he he would get behind some of the, the climate aspects of it. But, you know, I take that with a grain of salt. I mean, you know, this is a man whose entire political history, political power and personal wealth is based on coal. And there's no question that taking action on climate means you know, getting rid of coal. It is the most uh, carbon intensive fossil fuel to be serious about. So as we're talking about um, Omicron pushing hospitals, Heidi, we've got what more than two dozen states, including Maryland and Virginia, who are really having trouble keeping up with the patient load. And there's also some a controversy involving an executive order by the just sworn in Virginia governor. Tell us about that. Yeah, Chris, a new executive order from the Virginia governor banning mask mandates in schools. Now, we've seen this in other GOP-run states. What makes this different, Chris, is it comes amid the biggest surge yet in cases and positivity rates in Virginia. It comes as kid hospitalizations are up, and there are severe staffing shortages in schools. So some of the biggest districts already saying, no dice, we're not going to abide by this. I and mean, we keep saying that people seem to still not get the message sometimes. So, Dr. Patel, look, I want to talk about this. Virginia, uh, you know, sort of pushback by big school districts saying, look, governor, you can say all you want that people don't have to wear masks. We're making our folks inside the schools wear masks. Here we go. Politics of this continuing to put more stress on an incredibly stressful situation. So, so Dr. Patel, look, we know a lot of people are in the mode of we've got to live with the virus, but are schools the place to live with it right now? No, they're the absolute last place to live with them, especially if we want to do everything possible to keep schools open in person. And let's be clear, I think teachers, students, staff, faculty, parents, everybody's united in kind of trying to do what we need to uh, do to keep schools safe. But that does involve wearing masks. And why? 
Chris, let's be clear, even in the 12 to 18 or five to 11 year old age range, we still have very low vaccination rates. Vaccines are not perfect in the sense that they don't prevent you from getting infected. But as you just heard from Heidi and we're seeing in clinics and hospitals around the country, they really do prevent that severe illness. And you don't want to be that statistic. And, and I'm speaking directly to the adults and households. Children, even though relative to adults, might have milder illness, but one, no reason to experiment with children being sick and out of school because that's what happens when they get COVID. And number two, think about the ripple effect. They can become chains in transmission to someone who's going to visit that hospital in Laurel, Maryland and can't actually go in because they test positive. So think about just kind of what's happening. And it just seems ludicrous declaring a public health emergency and also getting rid of the... Yeah, look, the people like Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema, these are the white people that Martin Luther King Jr. warned us about. These are the white liberals who have no sense of urgency, commitment, or integrity when it comes to the progress of justice in the country. And that's just that's just a fact. I don't know if they can live with themselves with that, but that is that is the reality of their situation. The other reality here, and, and, and Bernice uh, um, mentioned it in that clip, the chief architect of this assault on voting rights is not Mitch McConnell. It's not David Duke. It's not whatever boogeyman you think is hiding under the under the under the closet. Um, the chief architect is Chief Justice John Roberts. It is he who has been an enemy of voting rights and racial equality from his very first job at a law school, which was to oppose the 1982 amendments to the Voting Rights Act. It is John Roberts who authored Shelby County v. Holder in 2013, which eviscerated Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, which is basically why we're here right now. It is John Roberts who authored Rucho in 2020, which swung wide the doors towards gerrymandering, and it's John Roberts who provided the crucial fifth vote in last year's Brnovich decision, which eviscerated Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. This has all been done by federal society conservatives that have been put on the Supreme Court. And until we stop them, until we do something about the court, you want to pass your Freedom to Vote Act? I think that's a great bill. We should pass it. I think we should have passed H.R. 1. But always remember that John Roberts and his conservative cronies are waiting at the Supreme Court level to strike down whatever laws we put forward. As long as you let Republicans control the Supreme Court, you cannot have a fair and equal just society. Jason, how does that sit with you? Uh, here's the problem, though. We don't know if Trump's going to be on the ballot. If Trump is on the ballot in 2024, it's the easiest thing in the world for Democrats, because you can always run against the bad guy. But I think that the bigger, more dangerous thing, and I've been saying this for a while, I'm, I'm working hard to never say Republican Party again, because it's not a party. Right. They're Sinn Féin to the IRA. They're they're the PLO to Hamas. They're a dime store front for a terrorist movement. They, they didn't have a, they didn't have a, a, a policy in 2020 except loyalty to Trump. They just announced in The New York Times today. I think I saw the article where they're, they're asking their 2020 uh, four nominees to not engage in presidential debates. They're no longer in Washington today. The family of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. marched in favor of voting reform. We're tired of being patient. The president and vice president sounded the alarm as well. Our freedom to vote is under assault. 
The attack on our democracy is real. And yet a major voting reform bill is poised to fail in the Senate as soon as tomorrow, which has advocates turning up the heat on two Senate Democrats. History will not remember them kindly. Arizona's Kirsten Cinema and West Virginia's Joe Manchin both say they support voting reform, but they don't back a rule change that would enable Democrats to pass that reform bill without Republican support. I never got a call on that from the White House. One Republican, Utah Senator Mitt Romney, said he'd be open to negotiation, but he doesn't support the proposed legislation, which would allow early voting and vote by mail in all 50 states and make Election Day a national holiday. Over the past year, 19 states have passed more restrictive voting laws. Voting discrimination is alive and well. Kristen Clark is the first African-American woman to head the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division. There is no doubt that we are seeing efforts to make it harder for people of color and other marginalized groups to vote. According to a new CBS poll, more than four in 10 Americans think President Biden is not focusing enough on voting rights and race relations. But his predecessor continues to push for more restrictions, especially in states he lost in 2020. Their legislation is not a voting rights bill. It's a voting fraud bill. All of this leaves President Biden with a dilemma, how to show his base that he's doing something to combat voter suppression when the most meaningful option, federal legislation, appears to be. And that's what Democrats need to remember. Uh, just because we won doesn't mean that all of a sudden Trump and the people who follow him are going to magically disappear. And so you have to fight that on offense with good candidates, good campaigns, high enthusiasm. And we got to stop the infighting. Are you too progressive? Are you too moderate? You know, we've got to come together and realize that there is 25 percent of the Republican Party that knows Trump is full of you know what? Yeah. 25%, that's a big number. We've got to get that 25% and we got to win the majority of the independents. That's our task. And um, I, I just got to ask the Rev, I mean, I looked at that rally and I listened to what he said, that white people were being denied the vaccine. The clear message that black people were being prioritized for the vaccine over white people. Everyone knows what he was trying to do. He was trying to get people to be mad at black people. What did those black people sitting behind him think when he said that? I'm like, well, I mean, it's like, it, I don't it, get it, it that. Was, it, it, well, the, the fact that we all saw them sitting there, clearly they were put there for the optics. Uh, there was one guy that went around the whole 2020 race with a Blacks for Trump sign. It seems like now he's gotten more. And they are put there strategically so that he can say the most racist things and not look racist. Because they all just automatically, I mean, who gets a group of people Blacks for Trump and, 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 and just happens to sit there and they happen to get within camera view? I mean, no one could be that stupid to think that that just happened to be they got the good seats. That is choreographed so he can sell racism and look like he's not a racist. And uh, I think that it is, it is something that we all ought to deplore. I wouldn't waste my time 
uh, worrying about who he props up. I would waste my time telling people, I would spend my time telling people, whites, that he says that you're being discriminated against. This is the same man when he was president that denied it was a pandemic until it had broke out all over the country. And then he told you to use bleach if there was any. The big lie is a cancer. So how do you cut it out without killing the patient? Is it even possible? As it metastasizes in one Republican-led state legislature after another. 34 new laws in at least 19 states, according to the Brennan Center, that restrict voting access that could disproportionately affect voters of color. In particular, legislatures in competitive states are making it harder to cast a ballot. And key Republicans are gaslighting America. States are not engaging in trying to suppress uh, voters whatsoever. Saying it doesn't make it true. As much as Republican leaders who subscribe to or enable the big lie want for it to be. And that club is likely to get bigger. According to a Washington Post tally, at least 163 big lie Republicans are running for state or national office. Positions that in many cases would give them authority or influence over the administration of elections. The list includes 69 candidates for governor in 30 states, as well as 55 candidates for the U.S. Senate, 13 candidates for state attorney general, and 18 candidates for secretary of state. The Republican officials who aren't selling or enabling the big lie are on an island, and a lightly populated one at that. The 10 House Republicans who voted to impeach Trump after the attack on the Capitol by his supporters are facing primary challenges or getting out of Congress entirely. Meanwhile, state legislatures dominated by Republicans are drawing congressional maps that look like amoebas, gerrymandering their states into congressional seats that are easy for their party to hold on to. Republicans control the redistricting process in states that oversee 187 House seats. Democrats control the process in states that oversee just 75 seats. Ohio's state Supreme Court struck down the congressional map proposed by Republicans just this past Leon, I got to ask one more question, though, about this. Senator McConnell already changed the filibuster rules, right, to, for, for Supreme Court justices. So, I, you know, part of this is always, you know, either how is it that, that Sinema and Manchin think that, oh, we're, we're, we can't get rid of something we've had here for years with, actually, they keep moving the line all the time, right? Over the last 10 years, we've changed the rules of the filibuster a bunch of times. And, and I don't understand how... Senator McConnell thinks they don't look like hypocrites here. They change the rules for issues they care about, like the Supreme Court. Uh, how dare a, a political party go the other way? Right. That's exactly right. And that's part of the argument the Democrats are making to Senators Manchin and Cinema. And you, you hit the nail on the head, and I'm so happy you brought this up, Chuck, because, of course, Republicans want to keep in a 60-vote threshold for legislation. Republicans usually don't have big legislative plans like Democrats do. Historically, they want to roll back government. They want to cut taxes, which you can right. do in the Senate with a simple majority. So all of the things that Republicans care about, they already have a simple majority like Judge judges and nominations and right. so but it wasn't enough to convince senators Manchin and cinema and we know that senator mcconnell has been talking to them as well well as everybody listens to senators tonight making the case that they've got these firm beliefs remember nothing about that senate and those rules have been firm at all uh, in the last 20 years
What's amazing, uh, Joyce, is that we, we know from their public utterances and the little reporting that there is on the court that they're acutely aware of their uh, perception. And, and I don't know that they all view it as a problem. I mean, to Brian Fallon's point, it's clear the Chief Justice does, um, and it's clear that the um, liberal justices do. But I, I want to read this, which builds on some of the points Brian's making. It's in The Atlantic today. Quote, the conservative wing of the court wants to have it both ways on its vaccine mandate decision, insisting they are not questioning the safety or efficacy of vaccination while issuing decisions that are entirely premised on the right's newfound and quasi-religious conception of them as traumatic and metaphysically significant, a necessity for the mandates to be seen as oppressive. This is little more than culture war dressed up in the language of constitutionalism. Is that fair? It's fair and it is a culture war. I think this is what drove Justice Sotomayor to make this very strident statement about the stench and whether or not the court could recover from it in oral argument recently. Because increasingly on the right in this newly conservative court, there appears to be a results-oriented uh, approach towards making decisions. And of course, when you contrast the decision-making that's apparently going on on abortion, we don't have a final decision on that Mississippi case yet, but there there's a willingness to, for instance, force babies to force women to carry babies to term, where the vaccination case takes an entirely different approach. Uh, of course, that's more grounded in administrative law. And, and as Brian points out, what Joe Biden has the authority to do under the law. But increasingly, this sort of semi-hypocritical approach to rulemaking is going to diminish the court's integrity in the eyes of the public. And I think we'll see the chief justice step in and try to impose some order on the court that will be named for him in the history books. The real question here is whether Chief Justice Roberts will take these stories that are now becoming public and use those. In President Biden's first news conference this year, he suggested that the legitimacy of the upcoming midterm elections might depend on voting rights legislation passing Congress. I'm not saying it's going to be legit. It's the increase the prospect of being illegitimate is in direct proportion to us not being able to get these, these reforms passed. It, is led, it has led to some questions about whether this is equal to the former President Trump undermining election integrity. That's an equivalency that our next guest argues is the wrong one, isn't the, wrong, isn't the right one to make. Joining us now, CNN White House correspondent John Harwood. Uh, John, so what's your what's your argument here? First of all, welcome back, Casey. It's great to see you uh, back it's in the studio. Um, look, uh, let's step back and think about what both men uh, have tried to do. Donald Trump uh, lost the election in 2020, lied about it, uh, claimed fraud, tried to uh, overturn it legally, failed, tried to bully election officials, get me 12,000 more votes, failed, uh, and then incited mob violence against the Capitol. He was trying to corrupt the election. And since uh, 2020, uh, 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 that corruption effort failed, Republican legislators around the country have been trying to engineer changes in election administration and voting procedures to make sure that they can succeed where Trump failed. That is uh, pretty stark. That's why we've been covering democracy in peril. Joe Biden is uh, leading Democrats to try to protect the integrity of elections. 
And those are pretty fundamentally different things. Now, some of the election experts I talked to said he shouldn't say uh, that the election might be illegitimate because you don't want to trigger the electoral confidence equivalent of a run on the bank and further undercut confidence. But there is a genuine threat uh, to uh, American democracy, and that's what Joe Biden was highlighting. Likewise, John, obviously the president received a great deal of criticism for the way he talked about Ukraine. Is, is there a different way to look at it that has been covered? Is it not as damaging as some suggest to say uh, that there would be different responses for different Russian actions? What Joe Biden alluded to, that is the different responses to different um, uh, offenses by the Soviet Union, uh, are things that our diplomats and national security officials have been saying privately. If they've been saying privately to uh, reporters and to other diplomats, it is hard to imagine that anything Joe Biden alluded to is not already known by Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin's the decision maker. So uh, if, it, if it doesn't change what P Putin knows as he's making his decision, how significant is the green light? Certainly as a public matter, the uh, Ukrainians uh, had to react because it sounds bad. But does it really change the dynamics of the decision that it rests with Vladimir Putin itself? I'm not sure. And now, no, it's an interesting point. Although the, the one thing I will just, just add is that we know that Vladimir Putin has been trying to sow division in the United States in the effort to make us weaker and no any question. perception among our allies. There's so the GOP's a PLO. Uh, they're all evil. I got one worse than all that that we'll have for This is America today. Where they literally say we need to pick up weapons, which I was told, I was instructed, that that was <coughs> horrible speech. So why do I inundate you with all those soundbacks? Well, here's the reason why I inundate it. This is the latest poll in re regards to COVID from the left. Insane survey of Democratic voters in a recent poll. 55 support Fines against unvaxxed. 59, house arrest. 48, prison. 45, fucking internment camps. 47, surveillance state on you. And 29, take your fucking kids away. And I put it right after Harwood that, oh, he incited a riot by saying, we need to fight, go to the Capitol, and protest peacefully. I'm not going to do it to you. My viewers, I, we have a seven-minute clip of Dems saying, fight, 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 fight. But this rhetoric that's coming out of the media every time they fucking lose, I mean, fuck it. Here it is. What the fuck is this? Uh, how do we as a country protect this democracy when these folks don't like the outcome of the next election? And, and Jasmine, you know you're running for Congress in Texas where this is a problem, where they have partisan poll watchers that opens carry state. It's a very fragile situation that we're in right now. What's your message to the people that you're running to represent and what's your message to our viewers today? Absolutely. First of all, it's great to be with all of you. It's great to see you, Tiffany. Um, you know, one of the things that I think we're really not talking about, and I think you started to touch on it for a quick second, was the role that black women play in democracy. So there's a bigger story that I think is brewing, and that is that black women have consistently fought for our democracy on every single level, whether it was in the streets, 
whether it was in the halls of capitals, whether they're state capitals or the U.S. Capitol, or even as it relates to being able to prosecute. And I think that black women will continue to fight for our democracy. And that's exactly what I plan to do. I don't plan to give up. You know, I know that I wouldn't be here but for those that fought before me. And so I'm going to continue this fight. We can't let up. If we say we've been defeated, then they have won. But this is a, a war. This isn't a battle. And we absolutely will win this war. It is a war. It is indeed a war. And I have to say, they have won some battles, Jasmine. But we, we have to keep our eye uh, on the war. And, and everybody needs to pick up a weapon and, and get involved. because. <laughs> Pick up a weapon and get involved. That aired on the national broadcasting channel affiliate MSNBC. And it was okay. We had no problem with that shit. We had nothing. Not a finger of a problem. That is, that's just fucking insane. It's fucking insane. I'm not even being hyperbolic. Pick up a weapon. The party that actually shot Republicans at a baseball field. Rand Paul, who the media spent a whole fucking, fucking week saying he's endangering Fauci, who got beat almost to death by his neighbor. A liberal advocate. Donald Trump says we need to fight like hell. The same verbiage they said, we impeached them, suspended people all the fuck off of Twitter for questioning the legitimacy of an election that's really fucked up and broke, oh, they changed 80 laws, the voting was weird, even Democrats go, it's kind of odd, the midnight run of 100,000, everybody said it. And you have a president of the United States who just stood on the fucking stage and said that the next election won't be legitimate if we can't federalize elections. If we can't redistrict everything. If we can't force full voter rolls and never check it. If we take the right of voter ID away and, oh, it's okay to have fucking drop boxes everywhere and you can fucking ballot harvest. No! Don't you check a signature, you fucking white supremacist. Democrats see this far. They see this far on the filibuster and everything because they think they're never going to lose. They're in this in time where they believe those 81 million votes were real and it's always going to happen. That they're always going to get 81 million votes because they just put a fucking potted plant up there and he won. And they're high on their supply. They got a media that says whatever they want. Look. A lot of sound by state. Listen to this. I'm going to play three sound bites. This this was aired this week on networks that purport to be objective, and that's why I'm keeping this slide up. This is how people, the few viewers they get, this is how they get that you should lose your kids and be in an internment camp. Are red and green ratings the right way to separate fact from fiction online? That's what a startup called NewsGuard is pitching. And today, here on Reliable Sources, they are revealing that they've reached profitability. They are presenting themselves as a sustainable solution to all the problems uh, that, that you know, fester online. 
So what NewsGuard does, it has a set of journalistic standards, uh, a set of criteria that it applies to sites all across the World Wide Web. Using a team of close to 40 employees, the company tries to cut through the noise of misinformation and deception and helps advertisers do that uh, by letting them know when their ads are running on sites full of nonsense. NewsGuard conducted a study that found advertisers were spending nearly $2.6 billion on ads running on hoax sites, in many cases without the advertisers having any idea at all. So, so some advertisers now support NewsGuard, and so does Microsoft. Microsoft now pays to license NewsGuard's tool. Will other tech giants follow? NewsGuard co-CEOs Stephen Brill and Gordon Krovitz uh, join me now. Stephen, why did NewsGuard need to exist? Why did you need to launch this company? Right now, suppose you walk into a library. You can see books and magazines arranged by uh, uh, whatever subject they cover. You can pick up the book and read the book jacket, and you know who the publisher is, who's financing it. You know who the author is. You get a little profile of the author. And best of all, there's a librarian who can explain to you this book is by an author with these credentials. This book is by a conservative author or a liberal author. Now imagine if you walked into a library and the only thing you saw were two trillion pieces of paper flying around in the air. And you pluck <laughs> one out of the air and you look at it. You don't know who wrote it. You don't know who's financing it. You don't know what their credentials are. You have no idea whether it's reliable. That's the internet. That's your Facebook feed. That's your Twitter feed. That's your Google search. So we created NewsGuard basically to do what librarians do, which is explain to people something about the reliability and trustworthiness and background of those who are feeding them the news. And then let people decide if they believe the source. So Gordon, how do you all do that on a daily basis? Is it about giving grades? So what we did was we identified nine basic apolitical criteria of journalistic practice. And our analysts have applied that now to all of the news and information sources that account for 95% of engagement. That means as people thumb through their Facebook feed or Twitter feed or look at a search result, if it's from a news or information source, it'll come with a green icon or a red icon and a quite detailed nutrition label explaining the trustworthiness of that site. It's really designed to give people the tools they need to be able to determine is this something that I should trust generally, or is this a misinformation or hoax site? It turns out in the US, of all of those sites that we've rated, all the sites that account for 95% of engagement, almost 40% of them get a red rating from us. That sounds like we're pretty strict. In fact, you have to be really, really bad to get a red. You have to be a website that says that, uh, you know, if you buy apricot pits, you can cancel your appointment with your oncologist because apricot pits will cure cancer. Lots of sites that your show has been critical of, you know, nonetheless get a green. They might get a relatively low score green, but they get a green. So what's really shocked us since we started the company is just the proliferation, particularly around healthcare, of hoax sites that are really in it for the money. They're in it for the ad revenue. And is that something that predated COVID-19 and the pandemic? Oh, yeah. I mean, we were stunned that there were so many, uh, you know, hoax healthcare sites well before the pandemic. Now, that's only um, accelerated. And obviously, you know, there are lots of sites, uh, you know, that are political propaganda, too. But, um, you know, uh, the good news, again, about the Internet is that anybody can be a publisher. 
the bad news about the internet is that anybody can be a publisher. <laughs> right. Let's look at the scores for a couple different websites. Here's foxnews.com, a 69.5 out of 100. So it gets a green grade, but you all acknowledge some of the weaknesses. But then here's rt.com, Russia Today, a Russian state-funded uh, news source. And it's got like a 12.5 out of 100, a big red label, proceed with caution. So, Gordon, who makes these decisions? Who decides what gets green and red? Uh, we use HI, not AI. We use human intelligence, not <laughs> artificial intelligence. Human intelligence. And so we have, yes, yeah, uh, go figure. We have, we, we have a staff of uh, analysts. Every label goes through five or six layers of mm -hmm. review. Steve and I actually line edit every single uh, label before we publish them. So the nine criteria are fully disclosed, entirely transparent. We include feedback from the website if they disagree with our assessment or they try to explain the assessment. And interestingly, the kind of the other extreme from an RT, more than 1,600 websites have done something to improve their practices after engaging with our analysts in order to get a higher score. Unlike an algorithm, we're delighted when publishers game our system. We love <laughs> all the publishers to get a green rating. Gordon, why don't platforms like Twitter and Facebook install NewsGuard and make it part of their platform so people know what they're clicking on? We think eventually they will. There's a lot of pressure on them to clean up their act. Uh, the Europeans, the British, Australians, Canadians. In short order, the Voting Rights Act of 1965 became law, loaded with provisions ensuring that federal, state, and local elections would at last be free, fair, and racially inclusive. In the years to come, the act proved to be a triumph for freedom. Yet in 2022, that historic achievement is being dismantled. Republican-controlled state legislatures are writing laws that impede voter registration, reduce early voting hours, cut the number of polling places in urban areas, limit mail-in and drop box voting, and politicize how elections are run. Meanwhile, GOP gerrymandering of legislative districts is trying to lock in Republican control at the state level, no matter how many people vote for the other person. Sound familiar? It should. It's the new Jim Crow. That's why the national rallying cry this Dr. King holiday should be remember Selma. Remember the sacrifices made then to guarantee voting rights for all Americans now. And remember that other great civil rights leader, John Lewis, who had been beaten by police on that bloody Sunday and in whose name Democrats are trying to pass the new Voting Rights Advancement Act. As Dr. King said so powerfully in 1965. You are somebody who is a pragmatic when it comes to the political landscape. What's your advice to the president here? And your, what do you need from the president to improve Democrats' chances in 2022. All right, joining me now is a familiar face, Democratic strategist James Carville. He's been pretty outspoken about what he thinks Democrats need to do and need to stop doing to stay in power in 2022. James, welcome back to Meet the Press, sir. Thank you, Chuck. I know you. Uh, let me start with what we're seeing right now. Uh, we're, we're about to be at the one-year mark. Uh, it's, a, it's a tough moment for this presidency. Um, and I know you've argued 2021 uh, is the greatest story never told. But I'm curious. Right. You have a public that is just in a bad mood. 
You just know they are, right? COVID, yeah. it, they're in a bad mood. How do you sell the good stuff that you believe he can sell to a country that's not very receptive right now? You've got a situation right now, the, the Biden coalition, nobody's happy. Progressives aren't happy right now with how Build Back Better is gone. African-American activists are not happy about how voting rights is gone. And if you look at the polling, the, honestly, the thing that's cratering the most are independents. You know, the, the, the folks that just wanted the temperature turned down. You're the president. What do you It's the pattern. Now we need to talk about disinformation because we've got a fucking guy who's not winning. So we got to really worry about this shit. Oh, we're going to talk about slavery again and Jim Crow, Crow laws that were real and have David Brinkley, a total fucking partisan piece of shit, talk about how our democracy, yeah, our democracy is in peril. What they forget is, is that 50% of the country is taking that poll, the ones that they get to talk to, which is probably less than that because they left lean every poll and they're going yeah the left fucking takes over election our democracy's in peril they're gonna rig the fucking system they're just gonna rig the system that's all they're gonna do they're gonna keep on keeping on because they think if they don't we're all fucked we're, we're gonna we're just gonna be fucked in the a and that msnbc thing it's you're you're just gonna hear left voices from now until the end in the midterm, and then there's gonna keep pounding. Everybody's racist. Everybody's this. Everybody's that. They're so fucking desperate. This is an opinion piece, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play a lot. You heard a soundbite about it. I, I'm just gonna talk about it. So what happened was Nina Totenberg made a story with some bullshit information that the Roberts had to tell people to put masks on because Sotomayor is a diabetic and was worried about getting COVID. So let's be honest, at least they're admitting that there's comorbidities. That's a change. And when they put the story out that he was asking, but Gorsuch didn't because Gorsuch is a fucking gigantic fucking piece of shit. Misogynistic. Rapist. Like everybody else up there is conservative. And they all come out and say, no, that's it's a lie. None of that's none of that's true. None of this is true. And by the very end of it, NPR, the people we finance. Okay, we, we, we pay for their fucking paychecks, wouldn't pull it away. They stuck with it. And we had cottage industry that, you know, what it really means is that they're more apt. Men that won't wear a mask are more apt to be sexual harassers. That's literally an article on CNN. We're just making shit up now. We're just making shit up. It, it's it's what we do. We just make it up. And it's all because of this. These polls are fucking killing them. They don't even know what to do. Oh, oh and I missed the, the, the fucking bullshit horse crap. 
Joe Rogan shit. 270 doctors who signed a letter urging Spotify to second Joe, Joe Rogan aren't medical doctors. It's a bullshit story, too. But what the problem is, focus groups are saying uh, Biden is coming across as old and absent. They say real and perceived fumbles play into deep fears that he's not up to the job and that Democrats are incompetent. So, of course, do, do they look at themselves? Do they try to fix anything? No. No, 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 no. These are the Democrats. They just fucking regroup and attack. And that's why he was heavy on the, oh, I'm not getting help from Republicans. And they're fucking pieces of shit. And everything I've done is perfect. He was told to say that. That everything is peachy motherfucking keen. Everything's great. And during this week, to show you how far they'll go, here's the FBI. Uh, we, we, we do believe from our engagement with this subject that he was singularly focused on one issue, uh, and it was not specifically related to the Jewish community, uh, but we're continuing to work to find motive, and, and we will continue on that path. In terms of the resolution of the incident, uh, the, the hostage taker is deceased. At the end of this, and he was asking to speak with his sister. We do know this is an ongoing hostage situation the White House is monitoring as well. This has been elevated to a federal level. Um, as you watch this thing unfold, what are your biggest concerns? Well, my biggest concern, uh, hearing that it's at a synagogue, is that this is um, someone who's intent on um, committing hate crimes and an act of domestic terrorism. And it's not just uh, a random person who wandered into a synagogue. Now, we don't know that for certain, but we have seen an incredible rise uh, in rhetoric that is anti-Semitic being trafficked all around the country. And in the case of, of Michigan, that is why I established the first hate crimes and domestic terrorism unit anywhere in the state, one of the first in the country, because we were seeing an exponential rise in hate crimes and an exponential rise in the formation and the membership of these extremist organizations, many of which are white supremacy organizations. And this is why conservatives are so angry. When the FBI sounds like the DNC, we got fucking problems. The fucking asshole said fucking Ali Akbar. He was trying to get a bitch out of fucking prison who tried to kill fucking American people. But those are veterans. Fuck those motherfuckers. Democrats don't care about them. Media don't care about them. Fuck all them motherfuckers. Fuck them. AP who also carried the, well, we really don't think it's anything bad because we don't really want to talk about Muslims because they vote for Democrats. They were rolling out this. Joe Biden tells AP healing a nation became one of her choice, choice chief roles, lady, first lady over the past year, if I could read. Her travels to 35 states include visits with wildfire victims, those affected by deadly tornadoes, and victims of deadly Christmas parade crash. Because once again... It's just a motherfucking car going on by itself. It wasn't the black supremacist in there. I would want to know that my president and first lady cared about me, Biden said. I think that's an important part of the, what I do. I mean, just helping people through tough times. Christine Paschaw. It wasn't a car accident. It was a mass fucking murder. They're still renting it. But... To show you that even the AP is wokeified, 
They did a story on this. A closer look at the case of Antifa Sada, jailed in Texas. For your information, the terrorist is trying to free a horrible anti-Semite. Sadiq Siddiqui tried to fire her lawyer because of their Jewish background. Siddiqui later demanded that jurors in her trial be DNA tested to prove they weren't Jewish. Jewish, which is kind of like Jewish. She's a true believer. A piece of shit. And they tried to cover it up. American Pravda, as that is again, did your office neighbors from Hamas help you with this headline? The hostage taker demand the release of an al-Qaeda associate, associate Afike Sadiqi, during her trial. She wanted to fucking get rid of the Jews. But no, we don't cover that shit. Why would we? They were all over Twitter. Prediction, right? Wingos to use the synagogue hostage situation to ver- vilify Muslims because of the attacker while never actually standing up for Jews. Okay, yeah, that, that's what's happening. And this was my favorite. A man with an English accent holds rabbi and congregant hostages at Texas Synagogue. English accent. English. Because we're not going to say Muslim. But we're not going to say that. We, we will not fucking say it. We can't say it. It would be bad for the home team. We've been on the side of fucking extremists since day one. We love them. I sometimes I just don't understand the media. I don't understand it. They they know it's hurting the country. I mean, NBC finally covered the polls, and here's some actual coverage on what's happening because of crime. Back now with President Biden's challenges as he begins his second year in office, among them falling support among black voters who lifted his once struggling campaign. Do you think that President Biden has fought hard enough for the priorities of black voters? I do not. Bradley praises the president's handling of COVID, but not the economy. When you go to the grocery stores, you find things three and four times higher than it used to be, but our paychecks are not three and four times higher. Langston Brooks is also worried about soaring prices. What grade would you give President Biden? I'm going to say a B minus as of right now. It's not just in South Carolina. Our NBC News poll shows black support for President Biden has dropped 19 points since April. Now it's down to 64 percent. What do you say to these black voters who say that you do not have their backs as you promised on the campaign trail? I've had their back my entire we have a follow-up on the story that we showed you yesterday. Remember this unbelievable video of train tracks in Los Angeles littered with open packages. Thieves are stealing and emptying containers filled with consumer goods, everything from electronics to medications to even COVID test kits. The Union Pacific Railroad says it's trying to protect its cargo by increasing patrols, flying surveillance drones, and working closely with the local police. But the company claims that local prosecutors are not helping. The debris field stretches on for as far as you can see. We're talking about easily tens of thousands of destroyed packages with addresses ranging from Washington State all the way to Pennsylvania. We've seen a number of COVID tests discarded, but the packages with electronics and home goods were left empty.
This is just unheard of. On Friday, Union Pacific spokeswoman Lupe Valdez said from October 2020 to 2021, there was an increase of more than 350% in thefts. In a letter to the district attorney's office in December, the company blamed the no cash bail policy in part for the frequency of the thefts. The district attorney's office said they make their charging decisions based on evidence or lack of, and they hope to address the issue with the... All right, they are still clearing the tracks after train derailment in Los Angeles over the weekend. No one was hurt when 17 cars went off the tracks. An investigation is underway into the cause. It happened in the same area of downtown LA where thieves have been raiding cargo containers on Union Pacific train tracks. Look at these images. Yeah. This is in downtown Los Angeles. Photojournalist John Schreiber of our LA stations, KCBS-TV and KCAL, was first to report this story last week. He found a seemingly never-ending sea of shredded cardboard boxes and merchandise. Wow. Unbelievable, littering the tracks. Yeah. So cargo trains stop in the area, and when they stop, that makes them vulnerable to these attacks. Union Pacific says it has increased security measures, and its agents have made hundreds of arrests, but it needs more help from the Los Angeles district. Yeah, I was going to say. That's pretty disgusting. You know, David Brooks did a thing in the paper New York Times about America's falling apart at the seams last week. I look at stuff like that, and I think that's another example of how we have just totally lost control the, in many aspects of our lives. And the idea that that people also even were just getting on the trains while they were still moving, yes. they were right. saying, no matter what, to know that they'd be there to do it. To your point, And Gail, think about this. Gone. Those packages, there's somebody's medication. Yes. There's Absolutely. somebody's EpiPen. Absolutely. Those masks that were people test are waiting for. The test the people are waiting LA has got to get on this. It's not Union Pacific's problem. A new twist in what was already a shocking regular occurrence. A Union Pacific train derailed in Los Angeles on Saturday. And it happened in the same area where thieves for months have been ransacking cargo trains to steal UPS and Amazon packages. You can see them discarded all over the tracks there. Authorities don't know yet what caused the accident. Well, there is no end in sight to the nation's pandemic-fueled supply chain issues, and now it's taking an ugly turn along railroad tracks in downtown Los Angeles. Cargo theft is just the latest of a long list of problems that are affecting shipping and causing shortages that consumers have been dealing with for a long He was caught on a hot mic saying we look like a third world country. But the media doesn't care. They're not covering. They're not pouring the airwaves. They never will. This whole thing shows what the media is about. And they're just about democratic politics. They're attacking Yunkin. I mean, this fucking shit, they're refusing the mandate from the governor, Yunkin, who just took over. Automatically, the moment he says schools do not have to have mandates and will not, it's up to parents. They're basing it on faulty bullshit. Not one Democrat stood up when he said, I'm going to let the parents have the right to raise their fucking kids. Not one Democrat did. Because whether you want to believe it or you don't want to believe it, this is truly what Democrats believe. We have 
never invested as much in public education as we should have because we've always had kind of a private notion of children. Your kid is yours and totally your responsibility. We haven't had a very collective notion of these are our children. So part of it is we have to break through our kind of private idea that kids belong to their parents or kids belong to their families and recognize that kids belong to whole communities. Once it's everybody's responsibility and not just the households, then we start making better investments. Remember, they're the smartest motherfuckers. What the fuck do you know about your own kid? We need to raise, raise them. And then he comes in and he does what Democrats do all the time. This is one of the rare times a Republican acts like a Democrat. Ban CRT, 300K. 300 motherfucking K of taxpayers' dollar, dollars going to brainwash motherfuckers. Parents decide a kids wear masks at schools, declare VA open for business, and vax mandate for state employees, investigate Loudoun County, fire parole board, leave greenhouse gas initiatives. Glenn Gun. Youngkin's first executive order directive included rescinding the Virginia vaccine mandate for state employees, rescinding the mask mandate for children in schools, ending CRT. And they lost their shit. Oh my God, they just lost their fucking shit. Because to back up Melissa Harris-Perry, which I left it, that was on MSNBC. That was a bumper just a few years ago, folks. Not sure whether parents should control what is taught in schools because they are kids is originating, but parents do have the option to choose to send their schools to a hand-selected private school at their own expense if this is what they desire. The purpose of public education is a public school is not to teach kids only what parents want them to be taught. It is to teach them what society needs them to know. The client of the public school is not the parents, but the community. So... For those that are stickly going, well, that's like a four-year-old clip of some bitch don't have a show that had a really bad lisp. She was their first token black on the network. Now they have Joy Reid, and soon they're going to have that nightmare bald chick. Yeah, no. No, this is what you believe. You believe in states' rights to tell you how to live your life, not states' rights to be free. This is the Washington Post. And catering to selfish parents, Youngkin is failing Virginia kids. His executive order, which gives parents the power to choose whether children mask at school, ignores reality that not kids aren't dying. They're not in the hospital. Sotomayor was lying. This was just one of a billion. Glenn Youngkin just removed the diversity, equity, inclusion section of the Virginia governor's website. Sickening. It's so sickening. And tell me of any Republican press secretary got involved in a state issue like this. It'd be okie-dokie artichokey. Hi there, Arlington County parents here. Arlington County parent here. Don't believe you are, Glenn Youngkin, but correct me if I'm wrong. Thank you to APS Virginia for standing up for our kids, teachers, and administrators and their safety in the midst of a transvestible variant that isn't killing anybody. You're the press secretary. Shut the fuck up, you little gnome. They're going after DeSantis so hard. This is the new pivot. The pivot is now kill them, motherfuckers. Kill them any way we can. Here's a new... Uh, New Republic, oh, I saved that because I want to talk about the end. New Republic, there's a long history of non-citizens voting in America. Even the Confederacy embraced it. These motherfuckers are some Civil War sycophants.
Biden. Scorecard Tully, 26 in Delaware, 13 in David, only 10 in the White House, two on foreign trips, and one in Nantucket with a billionaire. The press poll isn't covering that because they used to cover Donald Trump's fucking golf trips like it was fucking Nirvana. It was mana for their soul. Pool is holding near the Biden residency and undergoing standard USSS security checks. At 9.37 a.m., a blue sedan drove by a woman yelled, Let's go, Brandon! Twice at the pool. People's responses. Did everyone survive this terrifying, horrific incident? I hope you blew your hate crime whistle. Muriel Browser, remember that starting Saturday, you will need these three things before heading out. Proof of vaccine, 12 years plus, proof of vaccine, and a photo ID, 18 years. Mask. Senator Marsha Blackburn, same logic I made last show. Liberal logic, you need a photo ID to buy milk, but not to vote. Ron Johnson, Dem think it's racist to require a voter ID, but are happy to segregate the unvaxxed and require anyone leaving their home to have a photo ID. CNN fact checker who did zero fact checks on Biden's press conference. Zero. Daniel Dale. Fact checking false claim that DNC requires photo ID for proof of vaccination to buy milk or leave your home. Facts first. Two Republican senators amplified browsers tweet in their own tweets. Washington is not requiring photo ID or proof of COVID-19 vaccination from everyone leaving their home or from people buying groceries like milk. The new policy exempts grocery stores and other retail establishments, and it does not apply to people who are merely venturing outside their homes. Rather, the policy requires people aged 18 or older to show a photo ID to prove vaccine when entering certain indoor establishments, restaurants, bars, blah, 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 blah. It's not hard to find a list of places governed by this policy. It's visible anyway the page with browser tweeted, da, 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 oh, we got you on milk you say that the mayor tweet was overly broad but you don't lead don't lead the fact check with that their inaccurate tweets however came after donald uh, democrat mayor browser herself used an overly broad language so the false claims were based on what the mayor herself said the basis of this fact check is literally that they accurately stated that the policy was according to the mayor but the mayor was wrong long so they lied that's a fact check now if they could find anything, if they could find just one thing wrong, even fucking punctuation, that's a fact check. Everything else, go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. We're right. You're wrong. And Biden is going to be the scandalous free ever. And he was nothing but truth, facts, and science. Even though all that's been proven not to be true. All of it. Every fucking part of it. CNN hired Rex Chapman, now hiring a new team dedicated to covering disinformation. What do we mean by covering misinformation? Really, it's about covering reality. The uses, abuses, and distortions of it. Mostly peaceful riots. Hands up, don't shoot. Start here. Anderson Cooper finding a deep spot to film during Katrina. It's a picture that's all over the internet. And... I've never used it, so let's let's use it. I should always just put this picture up. Cause it sums up everything our media does. It sums just it just sums everything up. Ten percent of the subpoenas. 
10 private pile on Elena the Riot. They're just doing a fucking witch hunt, and you can't get away with that. Oh, wait a minute, you can, because this is airing all over the place, too. Listen to this bullshit. For there is always light, if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. If only we're brave enough, brave enough to live through two of the most difficult years many of us can remember, brave enough to pull ourselves up again and again. America is the home of the brave. It's why we keep getting up, no matter how many times we get knocked down, like with our economy. It isn't all the way back, but it's getting stronger. We may be entering year three of a pandemic none of us wanted or expected, but we're moving. I was the first person to get the vaccine in the whole country. And now, how many people are vaccinated? Over 200 million, right? That's what keeps me going, that I can feel the change. Restaurants have opened their doors. Shops and businesses are buzzing again all over the country. More jobs were created in 2021 than in any year in the last 80 years. We are stronger than we were a year ago today. We're bringing on new drivers. We're expanding. The fear that was there, it's going away. Business is booming. It's exciting times for the auto industry. Rebuilding our bridges, our roads, our transit systems, and the jobs. That's what this administration has been doing. From our toughest times, America has always built a brighter future. Yes, we are brave. Brave enough to see the light and be the light we need to rebuild this country. We're strong. We are courageous. We are resilient. We are America, land of the brave. I've long said it's never been a good bet to bet against America. And that's more true today than ever. I've never been more optimistic about America's future. There's nothing beyond our capacity if we do it together. Papang Young! They couldn't... Uh, Pravda! The old USSR would be so proud of that. But it ties in. Let's go back in the time machine. And this is what the media said one year ago. So, you know, another thing in, I thought in the inaugural address, the beginning had a little bit of soaring rhetoric, a teeny bit at the end. In the middle, it sounded almost like a homily to uh -huh. me. A breaking down of all this big language into very simple colloquial terms. Mm -hmm. I'm just talking to you. Mm -hmm. I'm in this vaunted position. But like a priest explaining something from the Bible or something, I'm breaking it down for you so we can all have a common language and a common understanding. Mm -hmm. That informality is also going to be one of the things that I think President Biden will attempt to bring to the presidency, which may or may not be boring, but it will certainly be a common Vega, unity, the theme of the day, the theme of this inaugural ceremony, the theme of Joe Biden's presidential campaign, clearly going to be the early theme of his presidency. He said, my whole soul is in this bringing America together. George, this was an inaugural speech aimed at uniting the country, but so much of this was speaking directly to Donald Trump supporters or those who may be doubting Joe Biden's legitimacy. He said, we won this. This is democracy. You are seeing it in action. It's not about a candidate. Democracy has prevailed. But he also used this moment to attempt to reclaim truth. We just saw an outgoing president who, by 
counts issued more than 33 some odd thousand assaults on the truce, mixed truce, and this was about taking truth and reclaiming facts, George. Mark Uppergrove, presidential historian. This was, we must not be enemies, we must not make friends of our enemies, as John Carl was just talking about. Echoes of Abe Lincoln right there. Echoes Lincoln, uh, on the eve of civil war in 1861, the, the, the worst domestic crisis that we have ever faced as a nation. We, of course, faced one two weeks ago, George. But I think what, what President Biden said at the top of his speech most resonated with me, which is, this is democracy's day. Democracy has prevailed. Despite what we saw from President Trump, his, his uh, trying to sabotage this election, calling on insurrectionists to, to seize the Capitol, to try to overturn the result, to, to try to overthrow our country, democracy triumph. This today was a triumph of democracy. And, and watching this moment, today's inauguration felt more like a church service, right? I mean, and, and we see there that like after a good sermon, the congregation doesn't want to go home, right? People are still hugging, shaking hands. And I thought from, from Joe Biden today, certainly he was commander in chief. He was also papa in chief. He gave a speech to comfort the nation. He said, in part, to those who did not vote for me, if you still disagree, so be it. Disagreement must not lead to disunion. So it was a unifying speech. And George, if you think about it, it's a four and a half hour drive from Scranton, Pennsylvania, where Biden's from, to the White House in Washington. It took Joe Biden 78 years from the shy side of blue collar to become the most powerful person on earth. That remains only possible in America. To watch Joe Biden today, it was such a stark reminder of, of how, as a country, we do seek out whatever we think we were missing, you know, whatever it is we thought we were missing in the previous president. He is the better angel president. Joe Biden believes he's, he's eternally optimistic. He's not cynical. The guy's been in Washington so long, you would think, you know, some of us are here too long and, and you become cynical. He's never cynical. He still thinks the better angels exist. And it was just such, a, such an important moment. Joe Biden is a forgiver. And it's going to frustrate some Democrats at times. Because I think some of the, he is going to be more, he is going to want to, to figure out a way to, to, to put his arm around some of these folks in, in a way, even frankly, when they don't deserve it. Even when they haven't done enough to, to at a minimum, apologize for what they did. The better angel president. Yeah, yeah. yeah you want to believe that. <clears throat> hey, by the way, Millie tested positive for COVID. Because this ties all in. I mean, these are the good people. Crystal knock, Nazi references, you know, uh, general, the guy they got. Yeah, th this is a basic training video. Yeah, that's basic training. Those are basic training beds. Yeah. So let's do a quick woke. I got some time. We're going to do a woke. Yeah. Good shit. Turn it up. Turn it on. Rock it like we bad to the bone. Get on the floor. Running loose. Gotta put these two left feet to use. If you need education in the party scene. As you think you can dance with me. This ain't no joke. Turn up. Let's get a woke. 
Telephone communication to Tonga is slowly starting to return since the eruption, but it could take weeks to restore the Internet service. Three of its smaller islands suffered serious damage from tsunami waves that reached almost 50 feet high. Guys, that is high. That's a five-story building. Yes, easily. Wow. Those you know, pictures tell the story. We yeah. talk about climate change quite yes. a bit. And yep. These stories are a harsh reality of what we're going through, and we have to do our part. Because these are more frequent. Yes, yeah. And if you're on the West Coast, the clock is ticking on the yeah. big one. People yeah. are worried. You know, I think at the very minimum, it would be warning signs and banners that would be issued on particular episodes or on shows in particular that were kind of uh, repeated offenders of that, uh, you know, of that infringement on that policy. It would be directing people to credible sources like the CDC or WHO um, on vaccine related information um, or other sources of evidence, since there seems to be just a lot, ton of speculation that ends up happening on these shows um, and people take it as an fallible. People take it as somehow the other side of science when really uh, there's a ton of consensus here to prove that, what's that what that information is is actually incorrect. So at the minimum, it would be banners and warnings. Yeah. And, and Joe Rogan, uh, so significant here because it's the most listened to podcast in the world. Uh, millions of people listen to each episode. Have you heard anything quickly from uh, Spotify? No, we have not. Okay, I have not so personally so we reached out to Spotify. We reached out to Joe Rogan. We've not heard anything. But I want to read to you what uh, Spotify said, uh, the statement they released back in April after Joe Rogan said that he would advise a 21-year-old against getting vaccinated. This is what Spotify said. Spotify prohibits content on the platform which promotes dangerous, false, deceptive, or misleading content about COVID-19 that may cause offline harm and or pose a direct threat to public health. When content that violates this standard is identified, it is removed from the platform. Is that not good enough, or what do you think about that? Well, it's just not being enforced, right? I mean, if we talk about the word prohibit, that would mean it would not be allowed to air. I know that YouTube removed the video version of the podcast, but that podcast is still available on Spotify, and that is a problem because it is clearly a policy that exists but is not being enforced, and we're asking for more. We're asking for actual ownership and enforcement of policies that do cause public health harm and that do spread misinformation. All right, Jessica Malate uh, Rivera, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Well, President Biden went to Capitol Hill this afternoon for a last-ditch effort to get two voting rights bills through Congress. But after the meeting... There's no lengths to the propaganda. Volcanoes, my friend, volcanoes, are from climate change. Because carbon monoxide and CO2 is all fucking getting to the core of the Earth or some shit. So Fairfax, and most of you have seen this, but I, I had to bitch about it because military kid. Are you fucking shitting me with the woke bingo? Making kids do this, identify your privilege. It goes back to everything we say. It's all brainwashing. The ACLU, which is supposed to stand for everybody's civil liberty, liberties, and it's so important organization. Curriculum transparency bills just thinly veiled attempts at chilling teachers and students from learning and talking about race and gender in school. No, it's not. No, it's not. If you're a Christian, you're anti-science. Vox this week was pushing this is how much you eat. 23 chickens. 
you eat 174 animals per year, 23 chickens, a third of a pig, one-tenth of a cow, three-quarters of a turkey, a small amount of duck, 12 fish, 137 shellfish, mostly shrimp. Going plant-based can have a meaningful impact on animals, your health, and the planet. Telling me how to live my motherfucking life. Your decision to eat less meat can influence those around you, which can ripple out. It can be hard to incorporate more plant-based food in your diet, but we're here to help. Do as we say! Eat fucking lettuce and kale, you fuckhead! And oh, racist grounds. Don't, don't get married on racist grounds. Racist. I had to cover those stories because they, are you fucking kidding me? You fucking people. So unbeknownst to most of us this week, and I'm not going to do this is America, this happened. So a couple of points. First of all, court ordered law enforcement activity that's in the FBI statement. That's FBI talk for search warrant. Uh, Secondly, so they're definitely conducting a search. And by the way, the U.S. Attorney's Manual says that if somebody's going to search the home of uh, or the property of a member of Congress where where documents could be found that relate to to legislative activities, they have to get a sign off from the Justice Department's public public integrity section. So main justice would have to have signed off on this. Doesn't mean the attorney general or the deputy did, but public integrity does. But mm-hmm. secondly, you're right, Chuck, there is a policy, but it's not, I think, what many people say. It's not like there's a buffer zone in front of an election during which the, you can't conduct any law enforcement activity. What these policies mm-hmm. say that have been repeatedly uh, articulated by different attorneys general, they always modify them some or, or somewhat, say that you mm-hmm. can't carry out law enforcement activity in order to influence an election. You can't conduct a search, you can't uh, mm-hmm. you know, subpoena somebody in order to affect the election. It doesn't say you can't do something that would have the peripheral or collateral effect of affecting the election. It doesn't, it doesn't mean law enforcement activity has to stop. I think that's what many people think it says, it's, and in fact, it's different. So as long as the government isn't doing this in order to affect the election, there's nothing that would violate the policy. Mm-hmm. How high of the bar is it for the public integrity sec- section when it comes to essentially conducting, a, you know, executing a search warrant on a sitting member of Congress? How high is that well, for? Well, it's, they, they would look at it to make sure that the U.S. attorney, that the folks in wherever it's being conducted uh, are aware of the sensitivity about legislative mm-hmm. documents because of the Constitution's speech or debate clause. And secondly, to make sure that it's, you know, sound, they've got, they've got what they need. Remember, you mm-hmm. can't get a search warrant unless you can go to a court and show that there's probable right. cause to believe that if you conduct a search, you're going to find... Uh, something that could be evidence of a potential crime. But of course, we still don't know what the crime is, who the potential victim is. You know, we know none of that. Here's what I do know. We're less than two months from the Democratic primary in Texas. So whatever it is. I know nothing about this story because there's no reporting on it. None. There's a lot of this, though. I read at least six op-eds this work week. As Vladimir Putin lays the groundwork for an invasion of Ukraine, Republicans in Congress have been laying the groundwork to blame Joe Biden for failing to prevent an attack. But Donald Trump may bear more responsibility 
for the looming crisis. Just wow. You guys really outdid yourself with this nonsense. Psst. The bigger story is Russia invading Ukraine. Trust me. Daily Beast has gone full Mother Jones. Beyond parody. Did Ron Klain write this? Yeah, probably did. And to hammer the point, and I didn't want to put it up front. I wanted to keep it here for the back end of this motherfucker. Because of CRT and parents get involved, and now we know the debunked uh, Merit National Teachers, uh, National Board of freaking Teachers, what was that, a PTA bullshit, was requested by the White House not given to the White House, to be given to the DOJ. Because remember, that's how they do all this shit. They ferret a story out to the press. The press does it, and then you can get law. Here, they ferret it to the National School Board. There it is. And they brought the fucking shit up, and then they could get the FBI to start looking at these parent these parents because they don't want parents fucking being involved. They don't want parents fucking questioning shit. They want you to shut the fuck up. And remember, this is all their fault because they quit teaching because they get too much money from the teachers' union to let teachers still call the ball on whether they're going to go to school or not and parents got to see homework they got to see zoom calls they we had i mean look what we've done over the last two years teachers telling kids to shut the fuck up don't tell your parents blah 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 blah. well now they're involved so there's a reaction to your overbearing brainwashing of children and republicans get elected and then they fucking drop the hammer as they should and now we have all this Melissa Harris Perry bullshit. Kooky calling them as parents must give away their children to achieve equity. In California, it's ever going to achieve true equity. The state must require parents to give away their kids. My solution, making raising your own children illegal is simple. And while we wait for the legislation to pass, we can act now. The rich and poor children should trade kids. And homeowners might swap children with their homeless neighbors. Now I recognize some naysayers will dismiss this as a policy as a ghastly even totalitarian. But my proposal is quite modest. A fusion of traditional philosophy and today's most common political obsessions. The left's introduction of anti-racism and gender identity in school faces a bitter backlash from parents. Ending parenthood would end the backlash. There it is. We're right. You're wrong. We're going to take your fucking kids. You think it's an outlier? Why is it is it a parent's right to endanger the lives of other people's kids and of teachers? Maybe people wearing masks should just drive drunk and speed through neighborhoods of pro-COVID parents as a way to excise their freedom and rights. So go kill the motherfuckers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the white supremacists. It's the Trumpers. Remember that. It's the fucking Trumpers, man. The fuck is wrong with you? Don't be looking at these crazy lefties that think you should give your kids away. Wait a minute. They also think you should kill your kids before you have your kids. It's very confusing. Very confusing. Should be having a child. Abortion and shit. NBC News president claims we're ferociously defending objectivity. I'm not even going to read it. I'm not going to read it. You're not. So as the last show, I want to end this show on a moment of zen, using the military zen bumper. Here's some sanity and all this crazy.
I think it's have to be honest that you can be a, a foggy, meandering a president, say like Reagan near the end, if you're winning. But if you're foggy and meandering on key questions and you're also not winning, uh, then you've got a real problem. The first part was probably the most jarring uh, to hear a president of the United States who is not Donald Trump even suggest ahead of time that an election isn't legitimate. <laughs> and even over at MSNBC where they applaud Joe every time he makes a boom boom within 10 feet of the bathroom, <laughs> their butthead at large was broken. It was a terrible moment in the press conference uh, when, when, when he talked about uh, a minor incursion. There is no minor incursion. Putin and she and our NATO allies are not debating that right now. Mm -hmm. They see Joe Biden as weak. Yesterday's press conference did not help. And if you're Vladimir Putin, you pay attention to the cleanup. Mm, minor incursion. That's my straight edge hardcore band. <laughs> of course, there are still holdouts. They're like those Japanese pilots from World War II stuck on some island cut off from reality. And like their planes, this president is a zero. Yamishi Alcinder had a kiss-ass tweet championing Joe for not lashing out at reporters. I guess she was distracted by Peter Ducey's hair when this happened. No, I didn't say that. Look what I said. Go back and read what I said. And tell me if you think I called anyone who voted on the side of the position taken by Bull Connor, that they were Bull Connor. And that is an interesting reading in English. You, you, I assume you got into, into journalism because you like to write. Mm, that had to be the creepiest thing Joe's done in the last 48 hours. And this is a man who sniffs children's hair the way his son snorts Parmesan cheese. <laughs> Yamish also praised Joe for making news, which he did. He lasted 90 minutes. And he didn't lose consciousness once. But he also greenlit a Russian invasion. So maybe making news shouldn't be the priority. Alec Baldwin's been making news too, but it's not good news. But hey, he gave it a shot. Well, you know, Brett, it's, this is an interesting case, and it's something we've seen many times before. This really isn't a voting rights bill, this is a voting rules bill. But this is how you do it sometimes. You pick a topic where you want to legislate something or get something done, and you propose a measure that would, would do something you would like to see done, but which also might have the additional attraction of helping your party politically. And then you attach a name to it of some sanctified cause. So this bill is called a voting rights bill. It really isn't that. It's voting rules. But nevertheless, the name has stuck and everybody's using it. Then you seek to advance the bill. I remember, Brett, back in the 80s, uh, the Reagan administration was trying to get funding for the MX missile, which is a controversial uh, weapon. And they tried to change the name of it to the Peacekeeper, <laughs> the Peacekeeper Missile. Well, Reagan and company called it the Peacekeeper Missile, but the press kept calling it the MX. It eventually, I think, got funded. But that's another example of, of how these naming rights, if you want to call them that, can affect the frame and, and help frame the, the terms of a debate. And that's, that's what's happening. You know, Brett, I want to put up this Gallup poll, political affiliation. It's a quarterly. Uh, Gallup does it every quarter. Uh, and it is a major shift in this particular uh, uh, poll with towards Republicans and Democrats going down significantly. Yeah, Democrats went down seven percentage points in terms of the number of people de identifying themselves as Democrats. Republicans went up seven points. That's a 14 point swing. That is a huge swing in a single year. And I, you know, I, I think it's traceable to the fact that the, that the Biden administration has 
uh, so far not been able to accomplish many of the things that people had come to hope and expect that he would accomplish, you know, the unifying of the country and so on. Um, he's passed some measures. Yes, he has. Um, but the left is disappointed in him to some extent because he hasn't done more. And the right was opposed to a lot of these measures to begin with. And, uh, and of course, you had the disastrous pullout from Afghanistan uh, and, 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 you know, these other things that have not, have not, have not done well. And the result is what you might expect. Republicans are up. But it, it's unusual for Republicans to outnumber Democrats, uh, self-identified Democrats in this country. It seems to set a difficult stage. It was a long time, a long time to November, but this for Republicans is something they have to think pretty highly of. Yeah, if they're looking ahead to the midterms, this is, these are the kind of numbers you want to see and, and hope will last at least until the fall if you're a Republican. Britt, as always, thank you. Thank you, Britt. CNN announced this week they're hiring a team of reporters to cover the misinformation beat. Now, that sounds kind of ominous before you get upset and just dismiss it as a new way to lie, which is, of course, what it is. Consider the hilarious irony here. The Russia collusion network is now in search of misinformation. And that points out really the deepest truth about CNN is this is a television channel that has no sense of self-awareness whatsoever. And that makes it kind of hilarious. On Tuesday, for example, CNN interviewed the former head of Planned Parenthood, who declared that we have failed the children. We have failed our children. Throughout this entire pandemic, we have not prioritized our kids, and now we're seeing the effect. We're seeing the mental health impact, as you mentioned, but we're also seeing the impact on nutrition and physical activity. These studies are also showing that school lockdowns have an impact on increasing childhood obesity, which also has implications for diabetes and heart disease for these kids growing up later on in life as well. So this is the lady whose job it was to make sure kids weren't born, lecturing us about the children. We have failed the children. No, our children are fine. <laughs> People who took your advice are not doing well. And then there's Don Lamont. And we don't mean to single out Mr. Lamont. We actually find Mr. Lamont hilarious. Mr. Lamont is invited to our show Christmas party this year. This is a sincere invitation. We hope you'll come. You'll love it. But let's be honest. This is a man who has spent more than 50 years living entirely for himself. And that's fine. We're not judging. But now he's telling the rest of us that we should consider the common good. We have to start doing things for the greater good of society and not for idiots who think that they can do their own research or that they are above the law and they can break the rules. <laughs> Mr. Don Lamont, the face of altruism. <laughs> it's a, it's a, the dag hammer scold of cable news. <laughs> it's too great. Oh, it's almost like Zen-like. It's just all bullshit. Everything they're doing is bullshit because what they want, nobody wants. It's like 18% of the country wants to be a fucking socialist and rewrite history and own your kids. That's more than the less than 1% are a bunch of white supremacists who want to go back to the Confederacy. But you don't hear it because you got people that did this. You got a president who says it's not legitimate unless he's in charge of the election. You got motherfucking liberals who literally want to put motherfuckers in detention and internment camps. You got these motherfuckers want to take your kids. You got only 10% of everything in J6 is actually about J6. And we still don't know why that one guy hasn't been arrested. But, you know. Stop getting important because that's, that's our media.
we find a place to frame an image. And that's how we put everything out. Yes, for a short time, they said Joe Biden fucked up. Russia's going to get invaded. He questioned an election. But then they just went back into overdrive that, yeah, he, he, he's right to question that election. Now we're going to reverse course and saying calling elections illegitimate is legitimate because it's our team now. It's just like the COVID dick dance. Donald Trump is responsible for 380,000 people dying. When 390 plus thousand people die under Biden, uh, yeah, we're not going to say that. Death ticker's going away. and Maybe we should change course because the economy's going to shit. Let's talk about case counts. Let's not talk about case counts. Let's just talk about deaths. Let's just talk about comorbidities. Oh, wait a minute. Let's just motherfucking talk about who really died. Uh, Let's just use it as an anvil to say, yes, the Supreme Court who didn't give Biden his way is a bunch of misogynist fuckfaces on a fake story. Mm. That works. Sounds good to me. Everything's a fucking lie. It's all manufactured. None of it's true. When you can't even fucking say an extremist is an extremist because you've said anybody who voted for Donald Trump's a fucking extremist, it's really hard to be a straight-up newsman. It's just, it's just really hard. We had a president of the United States one year ago, a couple days back, stand on a stage and say the greatest threat to national security is white supremacy, and then no white supremacy happens for the first year of his election, but there's a black dude who drives through a fucking Christmas show killing a bunch of white people. We cover it up. We have motherfuckers taking over fucking mosques that aren't white supremacists. We cover it up. We talk about Asian motherfucking hate crimes, and oh, fuck, it's all black people. We cover it up. And then truth starts getting out about election. And more people, whether you listen to right-wing media or not, start seeing shit in their local news about how motherfuckers are going to jail because they did illegal fucking shit in Wisconsin and Michigan and Philadelphia and Arizona. And it's all fucked up. And then people start coming, yeah, yeah, I got three ballots. I voted all three. Three different states. It's all good. It's all fucking good. They've never even explained how to suitcase full of fucking ballots got pulled out underneath the table in Fulton County. They never explained why the pipes broke, but they never broke. They never explained why they stopped fucking counting. They just never explained any of that shit. Because they can't. Because they kept counting. They just said they were going to quit counting. They wanted people to go to sleep. And then their potted plant sucks. They can't put him on TV. They can't even have him in the White House. He's in some fake goddamn fucking set. I mean, it's a fucking fucking clusterfuck. Big time clusterfuck. The economy falls apart. COVID's not working. He's worse than Trump with foreign policy. What do we do? COVID's not working. Oh, Jay, sick. That ain't working. Nobody's buying that shit because everybody just believes there's a protest that got out of out of hand because you told them for a fucking whole summer that fucking protests get out of hand. It's, it's just a few people. And overlaying it all is that every election Democrats lose, they question. Every election. 
They run fucking loaded polls with just liberals to say it's all fucking good. And lo and behold, more people say they're Republicans now. Not because they like the Republicans. I mean, he's right kind of with what a Republican's for. They don't really have any policies. It's just the opposite. But when you've schooled the American people that that's what the Democrats always are, the opposite, and that's good politics, and when they run all these bullshit investigations about nothing, and that's democracy, and when they use the filibuster a million times and you don't even talk about it, but now you talk about it and then people find out that they use it a million times, Jesus, media, you're kind of fucked. I don't care how many people you bring on and say we're worse than Jim Crow, Civil War, fucking Confederacy, slavery. I, none of it's going to work. None of it. Especially if you just pay attention. The only thing in the last election that could be cleaned up is A, go back to voter ID like the American people do, and B, the election, the Electoral Count Act. Fix it. So that if anything that you're trying to investigate still on President Trump is true, and electors were going to replace electors with different electors to go up and say, fuck you, our electoral votes go for somebody else, they can't do it. But you don't want to do that. You don't even see that as a problem because you want to keep it that way just in case you want to do it, right? Every fucking person from the left that is talking about election integrity and how Washington is crying in his grave when I thought Washington was a racist piece of shit and you want to take the Washington Monument down, but whatever, okay. They have questioned elections. There is a soundbite. Well, fuck it. I got time. I, I got to... What the fuck? See, I'm talking up her agenda with regard to the kids yesterday. My whole mission in Congress is about the children, for the children. As you heard me say, you're in the arena. You have to be prepared to take a punch. You have to be prepared to throw a punch. For the children. For the children. You have to prepare. What the fuck is that even supposed to mean? You're the party that wants to kill children. You want children aborted when they come out of the womb. And then all you do is side with teachers unions so the kids can't go back to fucking school. You don't even question you giving them $330 billion and schools say they're not ready. They can't bring it in. It's not safe. But now you should build a bubble wrap every fucking room, make them... They could be able to go to space in these classrooms with all the money you've thrown at them. And then all you do is indoctrinate them. Everything's indoctrination. There's no gender. White people are racist. There's privileges. Jesus fucking Christ! For the children... For the children. You haven't done anything for your own children. So shut the fuck up. But that could come out. That's that's our world. That's our media. They will just let them say and do whatever they do. Even when it's circular logic. Even when it doesn't really fit with what they're really about. Mm -mm. No claptrap. 
But Glenn Youngkin, who did what his mandate stated, he's a piece of shit. Obama, who didn't even have a mandate, is the savior of the country. That's pretty much what we're living right now. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please share this with your family and friends. And go to FOPPodcast.com to see this and every other episode on the Matt O in Oregon provided website. We're going to go with a uh, fourth. I'm going to try to get one in this week. I don't think I'm going to be able to. I'm working six days. Um, So probably the fourth is my next off day. 4th of February. Until then, disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs. I hope you enjoyed my really poor rap song to my little brother, but I figured I made it for coworkers who don't even talk to me anymore. I might as well make one for my own brother. And I purposely made it so bad that it's embarrassing that's on my SoundCloud account, but I'm just going to leave that shit. Surprisingly, two people liked it that weren't my followers, so I don't know if they knew it was a parody. Maybe they didn't. I am not wearing Packer gear because that was embarrassing as fuck last night. But my Ducks and my Packers are both going through rebuilding now. So thank God NASCAR starts on the 6th of February. Thank you, God. I needed it. I think it's 6th or the 5th, 4th, 6th, yeah. And the Coliseum class. Then we go to the Daytona 500 on the 22nd. And I'll be in to NASCAR. And Martin Truex, I don't know. I haven't seen him practice yet. So I don't know if he's going to be any good. But I'm going to enjoy it because it's going to be something to do. It'll be nice to have it back on the weekends, eat some bad food, all that kind of shit. It'll be great. I'll enjoy it. So I would love to say that tomorrow is my crack appointment and that I come back and do a podcast again because I used to love those podcasts. My favorite podcast, afternoon podcast, fully awake, hopped up, hopped up on the juju. Um, but yeah, I can't. I'm uh, got to work. So I'll work. I thank you all for listening. Please be safe out there. Stay warm. It's cold as shit where I live. Sure, it's cold where you are. And tune back in to the next show. I'm hoping this week. If not, see you February 4th. Take care.